I wish I didn't have a stiff neck. I feel like that's hampering me. Mm, the old stiff neck syndrome. <laughs> you sleep on it bad? Uh, I think I just sat weird for too long yesterday, and then, mm. I don't know. Were you sitting on your neck? <laughs> I... Are you watching me? <laughs> no, I could just sense. I could sense the expression on your face <laughs> when I said it. Oh, you mean was I watching you sit on your neck? Yeah. Yes. I camera in your house. Yes. Yes. Yeah. How else I mean, would no. you know that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just a lucky guess, I suppose. Definitely not surveilling you from afar. That would be weird and creepy. Who would, would do that? Definitely not me. Uh, if I were you, I would simply not sit on my neck. But it was comfortable. Mm. It was. It is, it is now not. Like, okay, real talk. Ashley got <clears throat> new pillows for our bed, uh, like, last week. Uh-huh. And, and she was like, oh, these are supposed to be really great. Like, you know, they're like Casper <laughs> pillows or whatever, right? <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> people say these are awesome. And I'm like, okay. Sure, fine, I'll try it. And I sleep on, I'm like, pinkies out. I sleep on a, like, a Tempur-Pedic, like, neck contour pillow. Oh, right? sure. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am very particular about my pillow. <laughs> it's the one that I have found that I can sleep on that doesn't give me neck issues when I wake up in the morning. Anytime I sleep anywhere else, I usually wake up with a sore or stiff neck because I don't have my pillow. So I was like, I'm very skeptical of this. And I tried it for two nights, and it was a very bad time. And I threw it in the garbage. The end. <laughs> Just straight in the garbage. Hello, everybody. It's Friday, March 5th, and welcome to Quick Save, the saving content podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rowe. With me right here next to me on the internet is Scott Ellison. How's it going, Scott? It's going good. Is it? It is... It is not the best of times, but it is not the worst of times. Okay, Charles Dickens. (laughs) Look at you. Getting all poetic and literary on me. It's fine. I know what you mean. I, I share your sentiment. Can I call you... Can I call you Oliver? Or is that... Is that a step too far? It might be a step too far. Too much of a twist, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it might it might just be that. <laughs> I can keep doing this. I can keep going, or I can stop. Should I stop? This is this is the Scott has no. I'm not going to stop his you. Mu- his mind for Evan Shenanigans dead air segment brought to you by Clorox wipes. Uh, I'm I'm not going to get in your way. Hmm. Sometimes somebody needs to. This might be one of those times where you just need to say, dude, the bit is over. But what if you didn't want it to end? Yeah, I think we know how that goes. I think when I get too latched on to a bit that I know isn't working and I'm just grinding it into the ground because I think that's funny and nobody else does, that doesn't end well for for anyone, especially not listeners. So yeah, I guess so. 
I mean, it's actually, occasionally it's funny, but uh, to someone other than myself. But I don't think this is going to be one of those times. <laughs> <laughs> I got to beat you to it every time. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of time because <laughs> when it happens, it's funny as hell. And then I just have to laugh. <laughs> And during that time, you can recover and, and beat me to the punch. So I can't make That's, fun of it. Beat you to the crack. Oh, God so, some people have uh, lots of vocal fry when they talk. And I just have puberty still ongoing at the ripe old age of 36. So I, I looked so. it up. I looked it up. It is uh, vocal cord damage. Oh, fuck. Uh, or uh, it is like improperly warmed up. Um, or uh, overused. There's like multiple scenarios in which it can happen, but I think <laughs> in you, my case, it's probably damaged vocal cords as well. Did you Google like, why does this idiot's voice keep cracking in his mid thirties? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, mine is, I don't know if it's damaged. I hope not, but it's, it's almost certainly overused considering I spend a lot of time talking during my day job. Uh, or let's, you know, I, I, I don't think it's not adequately warmed up because we literally talked for half an hour before we started recording this. So, yeah. Didn't do any of the la 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 la's, though. Like, I left that out. Yeah, there's like specific warm up exercises. There's, I think there's a few more scenarios that I am not able to recall, but yeah, there's, there's lots of reasons and it's not just. Like you're still in puberty, you weirdo. It's <laughs> God. Can you imagine twenty years of puberty? Oh man, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> um. Well, on that note, uh, <laughs> speaking of puberty and people who have never aged past their teens, what video games have you been playing oh, in your adult life on, recently? Come on. <laughs> hey, I say this as someone who embraces. Uh, video games as a vital and important hobby regardless of what phase in life you're in. That, that is poking fun at people who think it's for kids because they're wrong. Hey, video games are not cheap, but they're not overly expensive like other hobbies God. and mm -hmm. it keeps you out of trouble. <clears throat> I agree. It's like, it's like I always say, well, I could be out in the garage working on a car that I'm wasting tens of thousands of dollars on for six hours a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally always say that. Always. Not not to dunk on people who have cards as a hobby, because I know that that is a fun thing, but it ain't for me. No, not for me either. I like cars, but I want them to be built and working before I do anything with them. Yes. Agreed. Not a car person, really. I think there was a point in my life where I was almost, where I was thinking of becoming a car person, and then it never happened. Is it a choice? I feel like if you have to make a choice, you were not going to be a car person. <laughs> yeah, like it wasn't a big thing in my family growing up. So, um, like I would have had to have opted into it. I would, uh, I would have had to have identified it as an interest and a hobby I wanted to pursue. See, you and got yeah, me like, that time. I didn't laugh. <laughs> you made fun of yourself, and then I just laughed at that before, I, and I should have just jumped in. <laughs> I my goal. I'm just relying on the latency of the Discord call to make sure that I can beat you to it. You're crack trapping me. <clears throat> oh, that's good. That's real good. We're gonna, you should trademark that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, what What have you been playing, Scott? Crack trap Fridays. I will, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
games? Uh, a few of them. Um, Great. I've, play, I've played some bad ones, and they're so bad that I just... I As much as I love the Bash Corner, it, I don't want to go into that corner every single week. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, people just start to expect it if you go in there too much. Yeah. Um, there's a game I didn't like. There's a review up for it. Um, and it's it's not good. You should you should avoid that <laughs> game. <laughs> you shouldn't play it. Uh, but I am playing something uh, that I am liking. Uh, have you heard of uh, Breathage? Um, no. And and as written, I for some reason I thought it would be like Breath Edge, but um, it could no, be. Breathage. I call it Breathage, and it's no. It's not like one of those games where they say the title in the game at some point. Or if they do, I've not gotten there. Breathage. Um, it is It is one word. It is one word, um, but I don't know how it is pronounced. But I am saying breathage. Breathage. Anyway. Uh, no, I, I don't know what this is. I, didn't, I know nothing about it. Educate me. Uh, so, I hate reductive statements, but it is subnautica in space. <laughs> reductive statements are bad, but... But it, um, it is a good way to, you know, give a, a summary about what a game is if if you're really trying to condense what it, what it is. And it, it is more or less than Subnautica in space. Like, there are yeah. parts of it that it, it does more of than Subnautica, but there are things that it does less than Subnautica. So it's not a one-to-one kind of thing, but that's kind of what it distills down to. So, like, the whole setup is that you you are on this funeral ship uh, that has an accident. Uh, it crashes into an asteroid field. And <laughs> That's an accident. It, I mean, okay, no, when you fine. crash, it, they call it an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It didn't, it didn't poop in space. What if it did? I mean, it, I feel like you're setting us up to think that it did, in fact, poop in space. I don't know. Like, there was... The the thing about it is, is that the accident, it's like what led to the crash is a mystery for you to solve. And... Okay. Uh, and so, this is a Russian space hearse that crashed. <laughs> uh, it, it's got, like, hundreds of... Uh, coffins in it like That's, that is that is okay. the sole purpose of this ship is to transport dead people in caskets and it is it is a space hearse and that's that's a now it's you want to talk about painting a word picture with a mouth brush i think you you fucking nailed it right there <laughs> well then are you ready for this yeah bring it on so you and your immortal space chicken uh, will <laughs> will work together. Uh, is this a bit? This is not a bit. This is the game. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll work together. You can use your immortal space chicken to uh, either uh, carry a current or uh, actually disrupt a, a live electrical current so that you can get into an area and explore it um obviously there's crafting uh which is very minimal at the beginning which not too surprising uh food and water is still a thing uh 
it's not like Subnautica where you could kind of like pick and choose. What I mean, there is a like a difficulty of that, but you couldn't, you can't get that granular with it. Uh, the food and water stuff is like really simple because in like the debris field of every, cause this whole ship blew apart in like thousands of pieces. Uh-huh. So there are, there are ice balls that you can collect. And then there's like nutritional goo balls that you can collect and you just collect two of each and one will make a like uh, NASA astronaut food pouch and then the other one will make a water bottle or fill a water bottle, I guess. And that is your means of getting your water and food intake. Okay. So it's weird because it's like, it's so simple. Then why even have it in there? But I don't know. I, it, it's, it's not a bother, but I think it's one of those things. Like if you think about it too long, then it's like, why did they do it this way? Yeah. Because in Subnautica, I turned, I turned that stuff off, <clears throat> and I didn't. Right. I thought it was better for it by not having to worry about food and water. Like, I feel like maybe this game would be a little too easy if it didn't have it, or it would kind of move at a faster pace without those systems in place. Sure. Uh, but if you couldn't tell, like this, this game is a very tongue-in-cheek Deadpool style. Like I am gathering, yes. It is going for humor uh, a lot of the times. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I think the jokes land most of the time. I, I, it is going to be one of those games where like you either hate the jokes or you love them. And I'm, I'm in the camp that I love the jokes. I, it looks like the humor actually is... I, I'm, I'm scrolling through their like nearly defunct Twitter account and looking at a bunch of stuff they posted over the last three years. It looks like it's legitimately funny. Yeah, it is. Like cows and hamsters in spacesuits, uh, but like the way that the art style makes it work. And also, these these robot coffins are incredible. <laughs> like holy shit! <laughs> I can't believe this. Uh, it's it's really good. Uh, God, so there's all sorts of shit. So I mean, as far as like the funny things, like. It will, it will guide you through this process of crafting. It, like it'll show you the ropes of crafting, and there's a thing that you have to craft that does nothing, nothing at all. And it is called the, like the item d- title is like uh, shit that the developer wanted you to make or something like that, or it's like <laughs> nice, useless nice. item that the developer <clears throat> needs you to create or something like that. It oh is. Oh my gosh. And it just does nothing, but it is there for the sole purpose of you learning how combining items and, and crafting items works. And then there's a there's a bit very early on. It's like chapter one of the game. I'm in chapter two, um, but chapter one has this thing where like you you get to the end of it, you get everything together, you find this key, and you you know start up the like the the smaller ship that like, you know, like a lifeboat kind of thing and you go to fly it and the whole thing takes off except you're still where you were holding onto the steering wheel and the rest of the ship is flying away. Oh no. (laughs) And you just see it fly away, away, away until it crashes (laughs) and explodes. (laughs) Oh man. 
it's a really good bit and like yeah. that is kind of a spoiler bit but that is like what this game is going for mm-hmm. and i'm sure yeah. the other thing you've noticed is that this game is really gorgeous looking it's very pretty like the art direction is is really strong um the actual like execution of the art and the visual effects looks great like this is yeah this is pretty uh unreal engine 4 doing its thing yeah uh i'm about seven hours into the game i think i'm almost eight hours in i'm in chapter two now and like things are really like not only progressing but like things are really opening up so now i'm to the point pretty much in like subnautica where you start to build your base i'm starting i'm having that ability now so now i have like all of these like prefab uh items that i can construct uh to in this like main hub area so you like you start out in this like personal ship and you build up to that and then you make your way towards uh like a like an engineering ship that's a little bit bigger but it doesn't have the same amenities like it doesn't have a bed where you can restore health so if you wanted to do that you either have to craft a first aid kit or fly all the way back to your personal ship to do it I see. That, that kind of stuff like... is a bit of a slog. Like, just yeah. ki- kind of a bit. Um, and then, so because oxygen is a thing, and there is no above water to go breathe like you could do in Subnautica, there are oxygen stations that you can build. And they have a finite number of air, but you can build generators that will fill it back up yeah so i use those as like checkpoints to fill up my air to like do the traversing between that personal ship and like the engineering ship Mm -hmm. and once i completed chapter one it started propelling me into a new direction and then eventually i got to like this bigger hub area where now i'm building out sections of my own and making my own like station and and filling in parts of the station that uh like broke off during the explosion or uh just didn't it didn't have it in the first place or something like that i see so it's starting to get a lot more creative even though it is very much a linear focused game it is still like having these pauses to uh let you have your your freedom and creativity be mm-hmm. used mm-hmm. Uh, all the while you are being messaged by an avatar of a big-breasted woman only called <laughs> babe okay and she speaks in broken russian english perfect but there's clearly something wrong or something off perhaps like a AI is writing all of this to uh-huh. you okay. and trying to, to guide you down the wrong path. Okay. And you just get these messages constantly and it, it is more triggered on specific events or specific things that you come across or as you get closer to an objective. Um, but you'll get a steady stream of just these messages of them waiting for you to contact them, but you're not able to. And mm-hmm. it's, Oh, it's so good. Uh, I, I have now gotten to a point 
uh, where I have a vehicle that uh, will get me around a lot faster. Uh, it uses fuel and it has like a durability on it so you can repair it and you can refuel it so it's not uh-huh, uh-huh. just a one-time thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it is a vacuum cleaner. <clears throat> oh, uh, okay. A vacuum cleaner that takes fuel. I mean, they got to run on something. Fuel Electricity is a fuel. <laughs> fuel is not really the thing else think about of. it. I, I guess. Yeah, like, <laughs> you imagine letting a gas-powered vacuum cleaner uh, loose in your house? <laughs> oh, God. You know how hot those things get already? <laughs> oh, like, just, it, it basically, like, you may as well just be bringing a leaf blower into your house. Yeah. Um... And and like knowing well, vacuums that those things, are the inverse leaf blowers. It's true. Well, and some leaf blowers even have a vacuum function so that you can suck them up and mm-hmm. have them chopped up by the fan and deposited into a bag. You know. So really, what's what's the difference between a leaf blower and a vacuum anyway? That is that is the question. Something something space joke. Um, <laughs> uh, God, what else? Uh, there's there are like conditions where. Uh, Radiation is a problem. Freezing is sure. a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get to too cold areas of space where, like, your helmet will ice over, almost to the point where you absolutely cannot. See. I mean, for the most part, you cannot see at all. But as long as like you know where the thing you're going is, is straight ahead, you'll probably make it, assuming you have enough oxygen to survive it. You can also uh, craft portable oxygen tanks to kind of give you like a boost. So sure. if you're running low and you're not going to make it, um, what will happen is when you run out of air, you'll obviously start gasping and then it uses your health until that runs out. But mm-hmm. the portable tanks are a much better alternative because health seems to be a lot harder to recover, uh, at least hmm. from what I've gathered. But there are is- upgrades. Uh, you can upgrade like your helmet for you know radiation, your suit for radiation. Um, sure propulsion so you've got like little jetpacks to to get you around you can boost those um obviously your oxygen reserves like how much you you carry there yeah uh, a flashlight things like that hmm. yeah like lots of i mean you know these a lot of these things are very like expected for survival games and even like a space survival game but like you said there's a whole heck of a lot in common with subnautica's particular systems it sounds like there is even a waypoint system so as you um uncover like a like everything is pretty much like a mini quest even like the main thread stuff is like really short like if you can get to the thing that it wants you to get to you'll complete it or like you'll immediately do the thing that it needs you to do for it to move on to the next step so like there's like these really short quests that you'll come across come across whether it be like you just go into an empty area of space that is not where like you're supposed to go but then you'll Mm -hmm. uncover some sort of thing that took place uh right uh like you in the early part like you kind of like solve this mystery because there's a dude who died but you can the like the computer that's a part of your helmet or whatever determines that this person died before the ship crashed. And so there's like this little mini quest of determining how that person died. Sure. And uh, so 
for each quest, you'll get a waypoint and those waypoints can be colored. So you can color code like all your waypoints. So as part of like a main quest, you might have to find like five things and it'll mark those five things. So you can color code them the same. So you know that those are all part of that quest. Right. Um, for me, I like to color like the oxygen uh, refills or like places that have oxygen blue. Mm -hmm. And then like my home base is always a green. And then all of my main quests are red and anything that's like side stuff is orange or purple. Sure. It's, it's a really cool way of doing stuff and it's not new. I mean, like I said, Subnautica did it, breath of the wild did it, but yep. it, those kinds of systems are really helpful. And I wish more developers would use it or let you have it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's useful when it's implemented well, and especially in a game like this that can, you can actually do something meaningful with it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really reviewing this game. I bought this game when it was in early access. It was like on some sort of sale and I played a little bit of it, of what was in early access. It, I think at that time they had just added like chapter three or something like that. And I mm -hmm. played enough of it to go, okay, yeah, I like this game, but I much like what I did with Subnautica. I was like, okay, I need to stop and just wait for this thing to be finished. Yeah. There are very few games that I'm like that with, but it really has to be a linear game for me to really stop and wait. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. You don't want to hit like a story wall. Yeah. And no. I, I'm loving my time with this game. I'm, I don't know how long it is. I don't know how many chapters there are, um, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. Like there are some parts that slow down and it is a little bit of a slog, but I feel like now I have like all these tools and all these things that like, I don't feel that I'm going to be slowed down anymore by them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. No, I mean, it, it sounds pretty solid. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in this. I, I want to, I want to touch back on something you mentioned that I feel like we glossed over way too fast. Oh, sure. <laughs> Tell me more about the immortal space chicken. I wish I could. I mean, there's really no context around it. It is just, uh, you have a pet chicken and the ship crashes and it doesn't have a spacesuit, but it breathes just fine in space. Got and it. there, there's a situation where you're presented with a thing that you need to retrieve. And, but there's an electrical current that is live and open that if you go into it, you're going to get zapped and lose some health. Mm -hmm. So there's a prompt to do something about it. And when you do, you stick your chicken in into the live wire and it shorts it and it stops being active. But so, wait, the, the chicken or the wire? <laughs> okay. Sounds no, like a very the, the chicken. chicken's immortal. So therefore it will I'm always be active. Sure. Just making sure. And Gotta so keep your chicken powered yeah. on. It's immortal for what reason okay. i don't know sounds like is. some some creepy sci-fi experimentation on this chicken i think so <clears throat> so well, yeah there, there's there's this whole like mystery of like how this crash happened why is everybody dead but me uh this you know is, this is so similar to subnautica so far. yeah it really is i mean subnautica in space what yeah. space nautica super nautica space nautica, space nautica. Uh, you need to finish Subnautica. 
I know. I never did. <laughs> I don't. I wonder. Surely my save is still in the Steam Cloud. It's probably in the Steam Cloud, and I'm sure it's still compatible. Uh, let's see. I wonder how close I was to finishing that game. You were really close. I had 14.2 hours in it, looks like. I think you were really close. I need, to, pretty I need close. to download it. I, I need to install this, yeah. Like, with all that time I've got, I need to install this. Yeah, it. for sure. You've got so much time. Hey, I've been finishing a lot of games in the last 10 days, so leave me alone. No, it's good. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Breathage is one of those things that like I don't know if many people are paying attention to. Uh, it is on Xbox. It's on PC where I'm playing it. Uh, it might be on PlayStation. I don't know. I just know that it was on. It was in early access on Steam and Xbox Game Preview on Xbox. So nice. Well, I am gonna check that out the next time it goes on sale. Yes, it is very very good. And then the other thing that I've been playing is uh rainbow six siege oh boy uh you've been pulled back in you pulled yourself back in i pulled myself back in it was it was uh, a thing where we finished halo i opened up a bunch of space on my hard drive and i thought well let's fill it back up yeah let's just dump something in there and siege has been a thing that like well you know we've talked about here and there of like i wonder what that game's like now yeah and I fully don't expect to like really stick to this long term, uh, but it's a game that we played day one and stuck yeah. to for a good number of years afterward. Mm-hmm. Yep, it, it was our go-to game, and it is probably the game that we've m- maybe spent the most time with, or at least it's one of. And it's yeah, just, we have a tendency to jump from game to game, but Siege was like the one game that we would always return to. Yeah, I would say it was a through line in our multiplayer lineup for a good four years. Which is an impressive run. So, so, so what's going return, on with Siege these days? Uh, a few <laughs> things. They've, they've really cleaned up a lot. And so now there's three modes to the game. There's, and this does not include like the offline or co-op terrorist hunt, which is not called terrorist hunt anymore. They just call it training grounds. That's kind of just tossing better. that aside. That's still there. It's all still what it was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you you still have like the offline single player like missions that you could do. Yeah. Uh, the one where Angela Bassett is your handler. Oh, yes. How could I forget? Uh, so that's all still intact. That's all still there if you wanted to do it. But that's I don't I don't think that's really relevant, but it is there. Uh, sure. You've got unranked, ranked and quick match. Okay. Uh, unranked now has the addition of a band phase. So there's, there was the band phase. There was, or before this, there was like the, like the recon phase and then like the actual playing the game phase. Now they introduced this band phase, which you can ban a map from being selected. So it's like inverse voting. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I know what banning is from other games. I'm, I'm explaining I'm... it to the listeners. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I'm listening. I count. And uh, uh, I'm so amused by myself with that. I can tell. 
And and then the second part of the ban phase is to ban operators. So you can banish that, an operator yeah. from being in the game entirely, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but you can That's, also do a throwaway vote. So like I burned a vote on Montaigne because nobody plays him, right? Oh, he's back out of the meta now? Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a system that's been in, like, the MOBA scene for a long time. Um, yeah. And, and I think with the number of operators that exist in Siege now, it's kind of essential that they would add that. Exactly. So I'm not bothered by its presence, but it does elongate the, the time that you're playing a single mm-hmm. match. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit bothersome. Uh, but it's cool. I, I, I love what it's doing, and I ultimately don't really have a problem with it. Sure. Um, ranked mode is the same as it's always been. Uh, it includes the ban phase as well. It just has more rounds. So it's the same, but more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick match is like the old Rainbow Six Siege where there is no ban phase yeah. and, and you kind of encounter more casual players. It seems filthy like the casuals. serious, the filthiest of casuals. <laughs> Haven't had a bad weeks. I've been playing a little bit of quick match uh and man it is it is like I, okay i'm well versed with siege but i i've been out of the game for so long that like i don't feel like i'm good enough for the unranked uh-huh but quick matches reminding me that i am i am better than i think that i am well, that's i'm good. just seeing some really sloppy plays really bad judgment calls uh there was this sequence so I think they've uh, returned the ability to shoot the hostage to damage it a little bit. <laughs> Love that. But what I saw today was someone shooting the hostage, but then someone who was away from the room fortifying came in and started shooting the hostage and then killed the hostage, and then we lost that round because they didn't know the hostage was pre-damaged. Sure. Sure. Which I mean, not that they should have been shooting it anyway, but... It's a good strat. I have always enjoyed that strat. Oh, and if, we used to we used to abuse the heck out of that. Yeah, it because, was brilliant. So, for those who don't know, the idea of shooting the hostage before the enemy can is that uh, if there's a situation where uh, there's lots of crossfire and the enemy is shooting into a room, the goal is that by pre-damaging it, a single bullet by the enemy team could kill the hostage and you win the round. Yep. Yeah, and stray bullets were a thing that would happen often. And still do. So it's a good way to pick up a free round sometimes. Absolutely. Especially if if you're, you know, down and you just need something. It's a Yeah. But we would do they, it all but, the time. Oh yeah, like we would every round on defense, we would start with like you know, a quick single shot into the hostage's leg or something to put them on the precipice of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, it panned out more often than you'd think. It really did. So I think it's back. I've only seen uh, hostage in the quick match. It is definitely in unranked and ranked. It's just the way the rotation is and sure. how much I've played. I, did, I haven't seen hostage in unranked. So yeah. I'm curious if I can damage the hostage prior to the round starting without killing them. Right. Uh, or at least see if anybody else tries it out. So that I was cool to see. To more. Yeah. I was, I remember we were very sad when they removed that as a thing you could do. It was, it was very, very sad. 
I, I don't know how I feel about the operators. Um, like I don't have access to all of them, but it's more about the, the sheer number of them that I think mm-hmm. I'm having a problem with because with like the year zero operators, even I felt like there was a really good way to get them all to mesh and get them to work with one another. You know, you could have your glass on the outside and have someone like thermite a, a steel reinforcement and then have them shoot whoever was on the other side, you know, from a distance mm-hmm. or whatever, right? It, it just feels like because there are so many operators that the that the cooperation between all the operators has lessened. And this could be a part of me just not having grasped like what everybody can do just yet. But right. I feel like that is still a valid concern. I don't think I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think what I would say is like the the synergies between the operators were a lot more obvious and easy to arrive at. Um, and there was like, I mean, you know, there was there was it was eight aside, right? Um, yeah. So sixteen in total is what it launched with. Yeah, but um, it's, it's like twenty five each side now. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's probably like forty eight or so, I would imagine total. Yeah, because um, <clears throat> I think they've added like eight per year since the initial set or something like that, um, or maybe six. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, like you you could discover the way that operators work together and which combinations were effective, and also the limited number of them, I think, made it so that the effective the efficacy of those. Uh, sorry, no, not efficacy. The effectiveness of those combinations was more obvious and more potent. And now with so many operators in the mix, there are still some good combinations, but it's probably a lot easier to pick a team composition that doesn't necessarily have, you know, like some really obvious uh, advantages yeah. right? as opposed to just a smattering of abilities. That's probably also a bigger problem in, in a quick play mode when you've just got a bunch of randoms in there anyway. Totally. I just, it would be cool if it like surfaced like, I don't know, if there was just a way it could surface information of like, these two operators work well together or, yeah, you know, just something to that effect that would like better inform even those who are, you know, random to you that you guys should stick together or yeah something to that or like, effect. Yeah, like if they had a way of characterizing like, hey, this operator's primary ability is of this type, right? And if they could categorize those um, into like some very common or obvious themes. And then they could have a chart that sort of, you know, demonstrates which which types of abilities go well together. And so that way it doesn't even have to be the specificity down to an operator basis. True. You know, Uh, but I also don't think a lot of the operate like some of the operator abilities do fit very neatly into boxes, right? Like I do think so. Op- there's there's a lot of techie kind of mm-hmm. ones. There's a lot of like defensive kind of ones. There's a lot of, there's yeah, a lot of like, demolition based ways you can do that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um that could be that could be really useful for people trying to learn the game or people like say us who haven't played in two to three years and who are trying to get up to speed with what newer operators can do. Um hmm. Uh, well, hopefully someone from Ubisoft is listening. <laughs> I know they're either not, but uh, but it's cool. Uh, I haven't come across the, the the revamped Oregon map yet, but the revamped my backyard map. Yeah, I think that was wondering. actually kind of the first 
inkling about wanting to go back is because we made that pre-show yes. mention about about that. Yep. Yeah, but it's like, fun. Oh, I should look at uh, this. I don't feel like I'm getting too wrecked or anything like that. Like it, it's kind of the same as it always has been. It's you know you get these cute angles, and uh, you can you can just headshot someone. Yeah, some dummy who peeks too early. Yeah, I mean, there's also the head glitch kind of effect that occurs, with, you know, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you see their head, but their eyes don't aren't able to see you yet. So you're right. able to get their get the headshot on them, and they're going, "What the fuck?" That's I mean, that's just ever present. That's just physics and biology, man. <laughs> yeah, man. You got you got a whole bunch of head up above your eyes. You got to think about. <laughs> Most games don't make you think about it, but Siege makes you think. Siege about will it. make you think about it. Yeah. Until you can't anymore because you you lost your head. Lost your head. Yeah, it's fun. And then uh, Call of Duty just recently uh, in in Black Ops multiplayer uh, added gun game back, mm. uh, but for the first time in in this Black Ops and right. Oh, I love it. It's so good. It's so good. It, is, it has long been your favorite mode. Can't get enough. If that mode didn't get introduced, I probably would be playing Rainbow Six some more, but it it, it calls to me. Nothing more I need to say on that, but it's just fair enough. You're you're glad to see it back. I'm very glad. It's like being reunited with an old friend. And I think I think that's it with Siege. I mean, it's not new, uh, but the all the attachments are free now, so you can just kind of oh, set up uh what works for you or what you want to use. The shitty thing is that it like defaults to the hollow site on every single fucking weapon. Mm. And on some guns that are small, it is gaudy. Yeah, that's a lot. And no one, well, I mean, I guess if you're playing solo, it's fine. But like, I remember every time we'd play in a group, I'd be like, hang on guys, I got to fill with my attachments. And people would be like, fuck you, we're queuing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to wait three minutes for you to do this. They need to let you mess with that stuff while you're dead, but like between rounds. Yeah, yeah, they do. I understand. I understand why they probably don't, but they at they least should. let you do it uh, while you're matching. So there's that. That's good. Yeah, I just feel like that stuff goes so fast, though. It it can still go pretty fast. Uh, I've seen people like quit out of games, but then they get replaced immediately by a real player, which is cool too. That's nice. That's it's got a pretty active community still. It sounds like it's it's massive. I think it's like bigger now than it's ever been. Like it just keeps growing. That's wild. It doesn't have surely it doesn't have crossplay. That would be ridiculous. I don't think that it does. No, it would be ridiculous, but no. Let's see. Well, it's not in the top ten on Steam. Not that that matters much. Yeah, it's kind of hard when that's split between Epic. You play itself or Ubisoft Connect and yeah. Steam when yeah. it all, you know, goes under the umbrella of Ubisoft in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's 43,000 concurrent players right now just on Steam alone. I mean, there f- would be multiplayer communities that would kill for those kinds of numbers. Absolutely. Exactly. And there's like, and the 30 day average is 70,000. So during the day, it's probably even higher. So like Steam's community alone is fueling a lot of that. And then, yeah, you figure you factor in Ubisoft Connect uh, and Epic and you've got a pretty healthy player count. 
That's impressive. You remind me, you rebought Siege on Steam just so you could have it on Steam? I did. I so I could have it on Steam and also so I could um I rebought it. I there was gosh, I there was like this whole thing that I worked out where I was able to rebuy it on Steam for it cost me less to buy the base game on Steam plus I think the first 2 years worth of operator DLCs. Yeah, that was it. Then it then it would have to have bought those DLC packages on Ubisoft Connect by themselves. Like there was some deal I was able to exploit that got it me all the stuff for very cheap. More for less. Exactly. It's the deal you like to see. <laughs> um yeah, it was it was a good uh, oh, so it's number eleven on the Steam charts currently, just for the record. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's very active. There is a very popular game on Steam that I cannot pronounce because it's in a different language. Yep, don't know what that is. Uh clicking through. Oh, it's know. it's translated name is Tale of Immortal. Oh, I've heard of that. Well, 45,504 players can't be wrong. You, they really can't. <laughs> it's funny that Source SDK-based 2013 multiplayer is sitting in that 10th slot because what that is is uh, the, the roleplay. No, it's the roleplay oh. uh, executable for uh, GTA roleplaying. Okay. Yes, that's, that's what right. they use for the... Yep. All the hooks and shit for it. Yep. So weird. Throws me off every time. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's basically what I've been playing. Well, then I suppose I'll offer what I've been playing. <laughs> that's, I, the, I, that's the I, part I, where you're supposed to say, hey, what about you, dude? <laughs> I'm going to cut this out. Hey, what about you? Um, hey what's mine say sweet what's my line I I don't know I don't know Uh, I have been playing two games primarily in the last week Um, I will I will touch on the the one I have less to say about first I I spent a whole lot of time finishing up the main campaign in Spider-Man Remastered oh good I don't have a whole lot to say that you haven't already said on this show other than that game is great. Um, I stopped paying attention. Uh, That final suit is very cool. I'm I'm into it. It is. It is what I still have equipped. Um, I was kind of expecting it to do some more stuff, maybe. Okay. Uh, Well, I mean, look. You know, okay, this is a game that came out in 2018, so I think we're we're like well, good and clear of spoiler territory here. Yes. But so, but in case you're in case you haven't played this, you know, spoiler warning. So he makes the suit in Octavius's lab, right, with some of the same materials and like you know aesthetics that uh, Doc Ock's arms have, right? Yeah. So there's this insinuation when you look at the visuals of the suit that like. Maybe it's going to have some... I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. Just, I thought, like... I mean, clearly, I guess the point of it was to bolster Pete's very broken body, right? Like, that was yeah. that was kind of the main purpose of it. <laughs> yeah, um, because it is a suit that went over his existing suit. 
Right, right. So it was like literally an external armor augmentation suit. Uh, and, and like probably had some of the same like, you know, artificial muscle fibers and stuff to help him move. So, um, yeah, like I so I loved. Well, let me, let me backtrack. I stopped playing like all the side activities at one point because I realized the story was just really good and really enjoyable. And the campaign was good enough that like there was not much point in just deviating from it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think the story is really well done in that game. I think the acting is really solid. I think it's just like, it's a campaign that you really actually like playing. Um, well, I say you, like I, I, I really enjoyed playing it. Right. Um, well, I did. I liked it. I, yeah, I know you did. I mean, I thought, I, I remember you spoke very highly of it. No, I think, I, I think I get what you're saying. Like there, there are some campaigns that it feels like it's daunting to progress through them because you're not sure if it's going to hit some sort of difficulty spike or Mm -hmm. it's going to force you into these side activities or something like that. But it's, it's very clear that like you need to do some of them. You should do some of them, but you don't need to do all the side stuff before you progress in the main story because you're not going to, there's not this fear that you're not going to be powerful enough. Exactly. And like the primary source of experience in this game, experience points, is just playing the campaign missions. Like you will gain a level, like a full level's worth of experience almost every single one of these campaign missions. And just by doing that, you will have more than enough skill points uh, to like have unlocked most of the skill tree by the time you're done. You'll get a lot of the nice like damage and health perks that you get by leveling up. So like anything outside of the campaign is purely optional, like truthfully. And I think that's a very strong choice that they made. Uh, they definitely try and push you into the side activities pretty yeah. hard, but you don't have to do them. Um, anyway, I, I really, I really dug it. I love the stuff that happens in the third act with like all the, the super villains getting out of the raft and you having to have these like mini boss fights with them mm-hmm. um, that are mechanically like, they're a little repetitive, but they're not overwrought. And like the enemies aren't necessarily just like damage sponges. Um, like you're interacting with them and like stopping their abilities in interesting ways. And it definitely feels like what Spider-Man would have to do in fighting these, these villains, which is pretty rad. Um, so I, I dug that a lot. That final fight with Doc Ock is pretty good. Um, kind of like actually hit some good emotional notes while, while Peter is like really upset with him and is like kind of screaming at him as they're fighting on the side of the building. Yeah. Um, really love that. Um, also, like, I remember feeling really on the fence about, like, th- them having a completely different actor uh, to do Pete's, like, facial capture um, for the remastered version and feeling that feeling like that was an odd choice. And now having played through the whole game with this Pete and then going back and looking at screen captures of, of original Pete, I'm like, mm, I think this was the right choice. <laughs> But wasn't it the situation, so I could be wrong, but wasn't it the situation that it was someone else's voice? Still is. And so, well, Still- someone else's voice and someone else's face, but now uh-huh. it is the face of the person doing the voice? No. Okay. It is It is a, you know, because so Yuri Lowenthal is the person who does Pete's voice um, in the game. And they had different like facial uh, capture for his voice uh, for, for both versions of this. So likely they had the actor like still reading the lines, but they were just doing like mocap on the facial animations and such. Okay. Um, which is interesting because for a lot of the other characters in the game, not all of them, but for a lot of them, they do have the same actor doing um, like, you know, 
likeness capture, right? Like, you know, Martin Lee is is the same guy who does voice and facial capture, for example. Yeah. Um, May is the same. <clears throat> yep. Um there's there's a few others, I think, that do that. But um anyway, uh I, I I've I've kind of come around on New Pete. Um I don't know any yeah. difference, so it, it well was, same. It just worked, same. you know. Yeah, it did. It worked. It worked well for me, uh, and it's funny because I was like, you know, I didn't play the original, and so canonically, this is the version of Pete that I know. Uh, and I'm I'm curious for how many people that's the case. I know it was an insanely popular game when it came out, but right. Um, I still want to go back and like do the City That Never Sleeps DLC stuff because there's like six hours of content there that seem you maybe should. worth worth pursuing. They they seem like they're pretty high rated. Um. But I also really wanted to get into the first hour or so of Miles Morales because, like, I know that it, it's like it has additional enhancements for the PS5. I know that it's like, you know, kind of carries the story on and streamlines some stuff. And and uh, yep, that game's cool too. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm looking forward to moving forward with that. But um, yeah, those those games are great. Uh, already already very excited for like <clears throat> Spider Man Two video game. Uh, with all the stuff that they set up towards the end of one uh, for, you know, some really heavy insinuations on like the rise of the Green Goblin. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a couple other seats they planted around some other possible villain appearances. But man, just just good stuff. Like that's a that's a damn good game. Um, yeah. Like just you talking about it. Like I remember like how big of a deal it was when you're you know it's it's that nighttime raining and the raft is coming apart everyone's escaping and then the sinister six form on you yes yes oh yeah it is just so like i know like i know who the sinister six are i Mm -hmm. know who like who each member is but i somehow just was not anticipating them to join forces in this game i thought that martin lee was going to be like the only like big bad that you fought in this entire game yeah and it totally throws you for a loop when that's not what happens dude i know it's brilliant and it's wild because like the whole time you know what the stuff with octavius is leading up to yeah but i guess they leave you uncertain as to whether that's even going to happen in this first game up to a point Mm -hmm. there's a certain point where you're like oh okay this is happening um, but even then, like, yeah, like I think, I think there's still this idea that Martin Lee or like Mr. Negative is going to be the big bad ultimately. And turns out, um, I mean, he, he's kind of like, he's still a pretty significant bad, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't know. And, and like the way that they built up Peter and Doc's, uh, relationship was great. And I don't know that, that, that story I think resolved really well. Yeah, um, the music during that montage as he's building the suit oh, was yeah. really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a lot, of, and then it 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 was like the emotional strings that it tugs at like work. Like you feel, yeah, it. you really do. You do. Um, and like also huge credit to the voice acting in that game. Like those yeah. performances are outstanding. They're, they're really, really excellent. And that's part, that is a big part of why it works so well. Um, I am just like, I'm, I'm so impressed with every aspect of it. It's, it was, gosh, uh, that's, that's one of the better video games I've probably played in many years. The more I think about it, I'm like, actually like this was, this was truly excellent. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I gotta, I gotta 
dig into Miles now uh, some more. But I love the, the the music for Miles. Just in like the yes. like that first hour is just so on point. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, and it's so fun because like you know you can tell that they wear their inspiration uh, on their like very very clearly from Spider Verse, right? And how they yeah. made Miles's game and like you know they they borrow from it in ways that feel authentic without feeling like they're leaning too heavily on what that movie did uh, because they're both like intended to be fairly accurate and authentic interpretations of the character in that version of Spider-Man. Um, I also love, <clears throat> and like this was, this was really fun to like observe having literally rolled credits on Spider-Man after playing for, I don't know, six hours in a single day and immediately booting up Miles Morales and, you know, seeing the difference in how, Pete and Miles move while they're mm-hmm. web slinging through the city and like the different things that their bodies do. And like, you know, with Pete, he's like this very practiced acrobatic, you know, kind of tight and um, like and tight almost feels like the wrong word, but like very deliberate and, and streamlined kind of approach to how his movement works. Mm-hmm. And Miles is like very relaxed, like free flowing, just tumbling, but like playfully and like not being overly concerned with how he is moving through the air. But he and also like kind still- of is like unexpectedly going further and higher than he anticipates. So he's kind of flailing yes. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There's like this weird mix between like, you know, some amount of grace, but also like a a, a very clear lack of control in certain moments. And like, you, yeah, you see those flailing moments and they're just... Gosh, it's so great. And and it's perfect too, because he is still learning how to be Spider-Man. Um and, and still getting used to his powers. It's just it's just such a fun thing to see, you know, them put the effort into those details and to make that be realized in a way that feels really authentic and really cool to watch. Um and it just kind of adds to it adds like a level of playfulness that uh like it's not that it was missing from the original, but it's a welcome addition, I would say. Yeah. Totally. I said I wasn't going to say much about these games, and I, I had plenty to say. Dude, <laughs> these games just make you gush. Like, there's just nothing you can do about it. No, you can't. You can't stop. Love the new abilities as well. Love that you start with most of your combat stuff unlocked from the get-go. That's, like, excellent. Very good choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to play more of that. Um, but the, the other thing that I've been spending a lot of time with, uh, well, and I say a lot, I, you know... Uh, it takes three hours to beat roughly is Maquette, um, which what Annapurna published that. Uh, yeah, I was going to try to make a joke about John Larroquette, oh, but I, I can't make it work. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm fair. just going to say that and just hope that's enough. Um, yeah, that, that'll work. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work it in and post. Uh, so yeah, Maquette is it. This game has been in development for, nine years is that right oh really i want to i i feel like i've heard that it's been in development for oh that's a right long you time. you were telling me that you like you've been following this game for some time now yes i have um i'm not gonna be able to very quickly find the data i need to back up this claim i feel it's been in development for many years i know that for sure um so maquette is a 3d physics-based puzzle game um and it plays largely with concepts of scale and spatial puzzles. And so if you've seen the trailer for this, you have an idea what the art style is. But it's very Ill- illustrative, like soft pastels, um, almost toy-like, like a toy-like quality to the to the art direction. Okay. Um, 
and there's like it's it straddles this line between realism and something that feels more like uh illustrated i guess um it's somewhere in the two somewhere between those two things um i don't want to say painterly i don't think that's quite right but you know so it's there's like enough realism to ground you but there's a little bit of surrealism um and so the the whole con- the conceit is like <clears throat> you are operating in this series of let's call them levels i think there's like well they're chapters like seven chapters okay and they all revolve around you being in a space where there's basically a large you know square like of you know with cardinal directions and on the edges of each at each edge of the square is a different like uh, kind of like area for you to go do it like interact with and like so there's like structures here so like on one side there might be you know a house and on another side there might be an ornate looking uh like a church and on one side there's like a a local county fair looking kind of thing with like little small tents and a ferris wheel Uh, another side there's like a garden right um and so then in the middle of the square is this this dome um like on 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 raised steps with some pillars supporting it and you go into the dome and now you're looking down on a miniature version of the area that you were just standing in, like the maquette, as it were, right? Um, you know, the maquette is like a, oh, I'm going to fuck up the definition for this. <sighs> um, <clears throat> oh, come on. And like, as I've been searching for maquette things, Google's algorithm has already been adjusting my, my search results in a way that's not helpful. Um, There's another is, maquette game on Steam uh, from Microsoft. And it's about making helpful. 3D objects. Fair. A maquette is a sculptor's small preliminary model or sketch. So there you go. It's a small model. You're looking at a small model of the area you were just in, okay. um, which which is cute. And then in the middle of that, there is another small dome, right? So hypothetically, and you can just see into the edges of it. Uh, and then if you look out on the horizon, right, past the area that you can play in and past where these, these kind of four areas that you can interact with are, um, you look out there and you realize there's a much larger dome above and around you right and it extends further out and if you look far enough out there you can see gigantic versions of the same things that you're looking at in front of you huh so so what the game plays with is this idea of like okay you're in a space that's infinitely repeated in both uh, in terms of scale right uh it's like the hall of mirrors kind of thing except it's it's spatial um and so you will, as you're solving puzzles and working, and so usually the way this works is like you can only, you unlock one area at a time, and as you unlock one area, the other one behind you seals off once you're kind of complete with that one, which yeah. is sort of nice because then it, it helps direct you and steer you through solving puzzles a little bit. But you'll have to pick up items during certain points to help you solve things. So sometimes it's keys, sometimes it might be like an orb or a crystal of some sort that has an effect on another thing. Or sometimes there's other objects like a like a wedge that acts as a staircase you can use. And some of the puzzles involve you carrying this object and setting it down in a place so that you can go and pick up the smaller version of it inside of the dome and then take that back out into the world, right? So that you can push it through a hole in a fence, for example. Or vice versa, you you know, you drop the small version inside the maquette, you walk outside, you pick up the normal size version, you take that back into the dome and drop it in the maquette. And now a gigantic version like slowly tumbles from the sky and (sighs) lands with a huge thud. 
right? And like, and it, and it echoes and reverberates. And now you've got a big version of the thing that you can carry around and put somewhere. Um, this or this you, sounds a lot like a game that I played maybe a little over a year ago. Uh, it just came to Steam not too long ago. It's called Super Liminal. Just I've take heard a look of this. at that. It, it does yeah, a lot of yeah, these yeah. same kind of things. It's not to the same level <clears throat> exactly. Um, I would say that this does it maybe better or more than. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that game was like three, four hours for me. And yeah. it, it dealt with perspective. It was like yep. if if you took this, uh, you know, let's say a doorway was at the very top of a room. You With the blocks that you had, there wasn't a way to get through that doorway. So what you have to do is grab the object but manipulate the perspective in which you're looking at it so that it looks larger than it is. And when you drop it, it is now the size in which yep. the perspective it had. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's a similar kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. And like the, the early trailers for this game showed off those kind of interactions and they, they kind of laid the groundwork for this is the sort of puzzle you'll be solving in this game. Um, and you know, there's, I think, the art style isn't quite as painterly as like, say the witness is, but there's kind of some similarity there. And, um, the way that the trailers were constructed early on sort of led you to believe that like, Oh, this is, this is like a 3d, you know, spatial perspective based set of physics puzzles. I bet this gets pretty wild over time and maybe it goes places. And, something like obviously it's a three hour game so it's definitely not anything on the scale of the witness right uh but initially i had thought maybe it might get into that territory and it's really and it it does a thing that i didn't expect which is that this is not just a puzzle game it has a narrative like it has a a straight up full-on narrative with voice acting uh from bryce dallas howard as the main character oh what uh yeah, right. Uh, that that surprised me. Um, and uh, Seth Gable, I think, is the name of the guy, uh, the person who does the voice for the other main character. And he's from a thing that I looked up and I already forgot. Uh, he's he's another television actor, at least. Um, maybe he's been in movies too. I can't remember. So they've got like actual, you know, uh, <laughs> quote actual Hollywood talent. That's kind of a. I can't believe I'm saying this. Literally on the heels of like talking about how fantastic the voice acting in Spider Man was, which is like you know professional video game voice actors who are incredible at their jobs. Uh, but you know they got Hollywood talent to do this game, which is interesting. Um, and you know the voice acting is good, um, but it just wasn't what I was expecting. Like the opening sequence of this game is you just walking through a garden and reading some text that gets drawn on walls in this like, you know, bright, like illuminated scripty font that <sighs> t- kind of tells you the story and gives you set up. And there's this, you know, very like summer of love influenced uh, song about San Francisco uh, playing at you as you walk through the garden and like make your way into the dome. <clears throat> And it turns out this is both a puzzle game and a game about a failed adult relationship. Um, right. And it's in it in the, the narrative kind of tracks this couple as they meet each other. And it's, and it's from the perspective of the main character, Kinsey and how she like, she's kind of reliving these memories of meeting her ex-boyfriend and how they got to know each other and what the early years of the, and so each chapter is like a different phase of the relationship. Right. So the first chapter is kind of them meeting and dating initially. The next chapter is like 
the you know the first year or two when things are still good and then you know they kind of go through the phase where things start to mellow out and get less interesting and they you know kind of the whole thing where just eventually things get boring and and they get on each other's nerves a lot and you know ultimately they break up and then the last two chapters are centered around her kind of working through that process um which isn't like you know that's fine I had no idea that was going to be anything like remotely a part of this game. I came into this expecting a very puzzle focused, like minimal narrative experience, or again, something more like the witness where the narrative is that of you as the player navigating this place and trying to make sense of it. Right. And it's not, it's not really that. And so here's, here's the thing. Some of the puzzles are pretty strong and some of them are obtuse and a little difficult to make sense of. And there's not sufficient hinting in the world to actually indicate what the hell you're supposed to be doing. Um, okay. And so it's, it's kind of uneven and it feels a little disjointed. Um, and I think there are, there are efforts made to, to kind of marry what's going on with the storytelling in, in the narrative with the environmental storytelling that's happening. And sometimes that works and sometimes they don't do it. And sometimes they do it and it doesn't work very well. Um, and it feels like, it feels like the, 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 you know, the, what is the, I can't even think of the word. It feels like the person who, who kind of created this game, you know, had a series of ideas about something they wanted to make and tried to figure out how to put them all together and maybe had to force it a little bit, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, there's, there were times where I'm playing through this and I'm like, oh, well, there's some pretty clear parallels between what's happening between them and their relationship and the things I'm doing in the world right now. And there's other times where I'm like, okay, is this not working or am I just dense and the symbolism is flying over my head? Like, am I just not getting it? And it turns out it's, it's, it's that the symbolism isn't working or it's just not there. Um, and so... Like I'm, I'm kind of mixed on this because I think a lot of what it does is working. And I think when, when the puzzles are working and when the art is working, it's really fun and it's really interesting. And there's moments where you are just like, ah, this is, this is tickling my brain in just the right way, you know? Yeah. And the moments where it doesn't connect, um, take me out of the experience a lot. And like, there are a couple of moments with puzzles in particular where I just was like, this is very frustrating because it's not clear what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, there was even a moment where I had shrunk a thing down so much that I could not pick it up anymore. Oh no. And, and they had sealed off the area that I would have to have gone back into to pick up a larger version of it. So I was stuck and I had to restart the chapter completely. And like, maybe that's my bad, but, um, there should be eh. like a minimum size kind of thing protection that prevents that sort of thing. Yeah, something. I mean, it wasn't a big deal because I wasn't that far into that chapter and I was able to retrace those steps in under two minutes. So it wasn't that like it wasn't ma a major problem. I spent more time trying to fix it than I did just replaying it. <laughs> that um, seems to be a, a common problem for us. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, man, like there's there's a lot going on here that's good, but it just like it's not consistent. Um, and and I'm not sold on. Like, honestly, like, especially knowing that, like, in an interview that the creator gave about how, you know, he was inspired by a walk he took uh, one night and how, like, the, the architecture of an unfamiliar part of town really spoke to him and he knew he wanted to make a spatial 3D puzzler. I'm like, maybe this isn't fair of me to say, but, like, if that's your basis, it 
like I look, I don't know what he what he went through in his time working on this game, and like clearly he found some meaning in in life events and you know trying to make these pieces fit together. But to me, it just feels like it doesn't quite um, it doesn't it doesn't hit the the right things all the time. Um, it's not bad. I think it's it's fun to play, and a lot of the puzzles do feel pretty good to complete. Some of them are just like why is this in my way? (laughs) Um, And, and again, like, I don't know if I buy like using the maquette, like, well, actually, this is the thing I don't actually necessarily. And maybe this is me being dense this time. I'm not sure what the connection is between, you know, this, this spatial relationships of these, uh, of like the bigger and smaller and normal size versions of the location um, are with what's going on in the story. Like, I don't understand what the significance is of being able to move through those space, those different sizes is beyond like, and why is this the space that these, these memories are playing out in other than it's just like, well, you know, it's just a, it's a mental playground, I guess. I don't know. Um, mm, yeah. I, and maybe I'm looking for too much. Maybe, maybe I'm asking too much of this game, but for, for already having been surprised by the narrative aspect, I really wanted this to connect more. Um, yeah, that's fair. So, uh, do you, do you, you know, feel like the, the short length is then in its favor because of how some of the stuff doesn't quite work out? Absolutely. Yes. I think if this game were longer and, uh, if the narrative were tried to be stretched to work with that, then this would probably end up being a slog. Um, and if anything, the narrative probably makes the shorter length length work a little better. Um, so it's, that is, that is a, a point in its favor and it's interesting right because it's not like <clears throat> the story of the relationship itself isn't like any particular tragedy that caused them to to break up right it's just mm-hmm. a thing that happens in a lot of normal adult relationships which is like okay you meet you really like each other you spend time together enough time goes by you realize it's not working and then how do you pick up the pieces of your adult life at that point um you know and how do you kind of find your identity again after that's over like those are those are pretty common themes to explore um, but, it, and, you know, again, sometimes that stuff ties in with the puzzles. Well, sometimes it feels very forced. Um, okay. so I don't know. It's like just from a, from an, from an art and puzzle design standpoint, I think it's worth playing. Um, but I think like, I would say for me anyway, I, I felt like I maybe had gotten my hopes up a little too much for what this was going to do. Um, so I don't know. It's it, it's fine. It's a perfectly fine game. Yeah. Um, it just uh, there was just things I wasn't expecting, and I don't think all of the elements work quite well. But when it does work, it works. It does it, like it's 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 what it, it's doing. What you would want, right? Um, it's just the, the, there's a consistency issue. That's I feel like a I bummer. Another, yeah, it is kind of a bummer. It's a little bit of a disappointment. Oh, here's another weird thing. Um, like I finished the game, uh, in, in my second sitting and realized like I only had half of the achievements unlocked. And so I went to look and I was like, God, like, were there secrets that I was missing? Uh, cause I did, I did pick up an achievement that was clearly something that you could only do in a certain instance that was like, you could have easily missed. Um, and it turns out it's got speed running achievements built in. Um, oh, so like, you know, you can complete these levels in very, very short amount of time. Uh, once you know what the puzzles are. So I guess it supports speed runs, which makes me wonder if there's like ways to break it that are built in. Um, Cause I could certainly see how thing like the systems could be abused in interesting ways. 
Um, so maybe there's a cool speed run coming at the next GDQ. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be kind of neat. Um, it would. It would. I'd love to see that because like the first time you break out of the normal sized uh, part of the dome and you go into the giant area and it takes you forever to walk around the sense of scale is very impressive um so like there, there could be some really interesting stuff that, that you could do with this but um but yeah that's that's it that's mainly what i've been playing well cool yeah uh other than of course um you and i wrapped up halo 4 this week and and subsequently wrapped up our time with the master chief collection yeah um, we did it's like so weird like I started out not really sure if I was going to like playing the Halo games with mouse and keyboard, let alone on PC, or just Same. enjoy my time at all. And by the time we got to to wrapping up Halo 4, I was kind of sad. It was over. Yeah. Yeah, same. I uh, Well, and I think that's largely because we know <laughs> that the fifth installment isn't available to us. Um yeah, it's like there's a sense of like uh, like a lack of completeness or closure that's lingering. What did what did you think about Halo Four as a game? Like particularly having just played through literally the rest of the series prior to it up until that point. I mean, like in a way, it maintains the convoluted nature that Bungie had continued to to do with each game. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, like, Reach, I think, is pretty well encapsulated and it doesn't overcomplicate itself. But I feel like Halo 1 to Halo 2, a bunch of shit is going on all of a sudden. And Halo 2 to Halo 3, a bunch more shit is happening. So, like, ODST aside, Halo 3 to Halo 4, <clears throat> development studios change, but the complexity remains the same. Like, somehow, that was the takeaway that 343 got from Bungie was keep it complicated. <laughs> keep, <laughs> keep, keep keep as many more. moving parts <clears throat> going as you can. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I, I feel like it made things hard to follow. It introduced a bunch of characters and uh, I guess prestige named figures like the composer, uh-huh. the uh-huh. didact, uh-huh. you know, it's introducing these, titles and and figures into the story that you've not ever heard uttered anywhere else but are suddenly a major portion of this game yeah all i mean to say is i stopped caring well into that game and (laughs) same yeah we were just shooting the shit and just shooting shit for fun Mm -hmm. yes um I, I liked the way you distilled this in Discord. I think it was earlier today. It might have been. No, I think it was yesterday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when Halo, so y'all like Tron, huh? Uh, <laughs> which is a thing that we said on the streams a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and it's true. Like, the art direction of Halo 4 borrows so much from, from Tron Legacy, which, granted, oh, what did we say? Legacy came out in 2010? Yeah. Um, so there was adequate time for them to have been like, oh, we saw this movie and we liked it. Let's do more of those things in our game. Um, there's like very, I mean, and it's just, it's blatant. It's really blatant. And like, and as I say, this is someone who has like an unhealthy amount of love for the Tron franchise. Like it's just too much. Um, and it's, and it's bathed in light bloom that is distracting a lot of the time. (laughs) But 
I was thinking about it today while I was doing dishes and I realized like, I think, so there's a couple of key differences that separate four from the previous games um, that are interesting to me. One of which is if you think about Halo's one through three plus reach plus ODST, there was never really a singular big bad, right? There were factions that you were battling against uh, as a collective, but aside from the prophets um, who frankly were just bit players in this overall larger scale conflict. And you could say that the grave mind maybe was the true big bad of the halo trilogy. Um, sure. I don't know if I buy that really. I think, I think he I was another it, bit part. I could see it, but he's like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I don't think that argument holds enough water to say he is definitively the big bad. Um, although I guess they kind of make him out to be by the end of three. Um, I don't know, but, but even still like, you don't even really know who he is until Halo three for the most part. Like you see him at the end of Halo two, the very end of Halo two, he shows up and you're like, who the fuck is this plant guy? Um, (laughs) And, and so Halo four introduces a central, like singular antagonist very early, right? Like the didact is your big bad for this game in a way that you have never had one before, which feels odd to me. Um, and maybe it grounds that power struggle a little better, but it feel it's different, right? And it's a little bit out of character with what you've been dealing with, uh, in halo games up until that point. Um, I also kind of think, and, and call me out here if you disagree, I think halo four is where the series finally starts to go up its own ass a little too much. (laughs) Oh no, totally. That's very accurate. Because like you said, like it, it relies on these prestige named uh, characters and objects, which, to be fair, those things have always been part of the Halo universe, right? Like you've had, yeah, yeah. These, you've had these things forever, but they really just kind of keep leaning harder into it. And we talked about this on the streams as well. Like it just feels like they're trying to go bigger and, and grander in scope than any of the previous games to the point where it feels more like an action movie than it feels like, um, I don't, I don't know. It, it feels, it, it's like, I wouldn't put it to the extent that like, you know, they gave Michael Bay control of the series or anything, but, um, it's a, it's a tonal shift in a really big way for sure. And, and the, the extent to which they lean on these, these prestige terms is, is like gets a little obnoxious and like, Look, you think about what the core conflict in in the original tri- trilogy was. Um, you know, it's 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 humans against the covenant, and that's complicated by the presence of a parasitic third party, you know, uh, force in the flood. But these are all like, obviously, it's all you know, not necessarily grounded in reality, not necessarily hard sci-fi too much. Um, it's like middle sci-fi, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's like it there's there's some degree of plausibility there, right? Like just because yeah. the universe is so vast, right? And you can see potential for these life forms to evolve in a way that's like, yeah, it's it's a little much, but you know, I'll buy it. Right. There's there's a your ability to suspend disbelief is still intact. And then in Halo 4, like one of the main story conceits is you know, the didact is like one of the last of the forerunner, right? And he wants to use this object called the composer to digitize life. Cause that's what the forerunner figured out how to do, except they fucked it up. Yep. Right. Like, which again, also hi, Tron calling. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, you're fighting the Prometheans, which are converted beings from from the digitization. Exactly. Yes, converted and corrupted. Right. Yes. Um, And and they they have big old data pukes when you when you murder them. (laughs) Um, It's it's just it's too much. It it is a lot. Halo Four is like with. I think the reasons why like the prestige name stuff sticks out more is because there was really nothing drowning them out like the previous games were. Because you had all these other factions, you have uh, all these other characters. There really wasn't any of that in four. So mm-hmm. be- and and so I think that's why they stood out more is because they, they yep. weren't being lost among the sea of all these other voices. Right, right. They're just they were the prominent things, uh, and there wasn't. Like the other stuff kind of felt like it fit neatly, 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 neatly into the mythos. Right. And these things are just, you know, it's like, sure. Fine. The composer and the didact are like in the librarian. These are core uh, pillars of the story. Fine. But there, there's, there's a subtlety that's lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it feels very heavy handed. There was, um, there was a moment that happens in this game. And I don't think this was us just like not paying enough attention or like not caring enough, but there mm-hmm. was, there was this moment where the didact uses the composer to dust, uh, what I call dust, which is really the no, digitize yeah. the people, uh, mm-hmm. on earth. Cause he makes it to earth. We follow and, but he, he dusts this section of earth and it, and it's just like that Top Gear meme. It's oh no. Well, anyway, like there is no moment of reflection. There's <laughs> yeah. no moment of like seeing the loss that just took place. There's none of that. It's just it happens, and then we move on. Yep. Like it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, yeah. It was super weird. Um, like there's no time to live in that space and to reflect on it at all. Um. Other interesting tidbit about four is like, despite it being, you know, not a bungee game, um, there's still a lot of like bungee and like specifically marathon, uh, story elements carrying over, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, this concept of AI, AI rampancy, which is something that was a big component of the marathon trilogy. Um, that, that's kind of the main one that sticks out in my head, but there's, there's others, um, you know, and like a lot of the halo sensibilities are still intact and it still feels like a halo game. Um, you know, there's, there's clearly enough of Bungie's legacy in this game for it to feel like it's, you know, from a gameplay pers- perspective, it is absolutely 100% like it's a Halo game um, and it belongs in the series from that regard. But I don't know. The AI rampancy stuff was working for me, I felt like. Um, Cortana raging. A- there wasn't enough of it. We decided. Yeah. Like, I felt like there was some moments where she was like had some real um, like you know, near psychotic breaks. And I, I get that you don't want to overuse that, but I would like to have seen a little bit more of it, uh, especially like, cause that, that the one majorly notable one where she lashes out, which had us like laughing. Cause it was so like, it was, it was actually, it was, I think it's funny. Um, just the, the, the line was like really snarky, which is, so, and I think it was intended to be somewhat humorous. Um, but that happens early enough in the game that you expect to see more of it. And like, instead she just becomes more unstable. Um, although, although God, the, the way in which you end up defeating the didact at the end 
which relies heavily on Cortana and her rampancy in a way that makes no fucking sense at all. Right. So she, she sheds her rampancy into the didact, but like, why didn't she do that before? Like, why couldn't she do that before? Well, she, she used the, she used the hard light bridge to do it. She used that thing to make physical manifestations of her form to overwhelm him. But pushes it, up were, glasses. those bridges existed Dude. elsewhere. Yeah, but not near the didact. I know. <laughs> I know. I agree. It's ridiculous. The whole conceit is like, it's too, it's again, it's just too much. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, so, so one of the other things is, uh, when we played Halo 2, it wouldn't allow us to watch the first two cutscenes. or really oh, yeah. it's, it's the first, well, yeah, they are two cutscenes, but the first chapter is cutscenes only. Second chapter is a playable, like, tutorial thing mm-hmm. with some exposition. Oops, cutscenes. Yeah. So I went back and I went through it because of the completionist in me. It said that, like, 13 of 15 chapters were played. I needed that to say 15 out of 15, so the numbers would go up. Of course. You got to see that. And when I did, it played an entirely new cutscene and I know that it was entirely new because I pressed tab on my keyboard to switch to the old cutscene and it didn't do anything. Nothing happened. And in that, um, it showed a cutscene where the UNSC is talking to, uh, Sergeant Johnson and others are talking to Spartan Locke. Oh, Sure who does not appear until until Halo 5 Guardians, who is the Spartan that is hunting Master Chief. Right. And and so the the setup happens in Halo 2, apparently, where he gets brought into the mix to hunt Master Chief. Okay. Sure. But it's not until Halo 5 where, like, things start to converge and you are now playing from both sides where you're with Spartan Locke and... Uh, I was going to say Uncle Buck, but uh, Captain yeah. Buck. Okay, Uncle Buck. <laughs> well, okay. To, to be fair, Halo 2 Anniversary came out in 2014, a year before Halo 5. So they literally used the release of Halo 2 Anniversary to retcon Locke back into the story. Shoehorn. Yeah, that's, that's a... Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Just yeah. shove them on in there. How? I mean, yeah. It's not like they... I'm not saying that they set this thing up like decades in advance or anything i'm just saying like it is weird to insert it into that game agreed i mean you know yeah from a story standpoint it's super weird i get why because that was the one that they were making right before five yeah but that also means that they expect like well you're gonna have to at least watch this cutscene on youtube if not play halo 2 anniversary to to see this it's a weird call very weird call uh but I, I like Halo 5 a lot, and it bums me out that, that 5 is not, or at least is currently not, on PC. I mean, Halo no current plans. is not. Like, it's Halo 6, but not. It's a reboot, but not. I don't know. Like, the, whatever what that game is, is all the Halo same, Infinite. there is a fifth Halo game, and it's not on PC, and I just want to play it. Yep. Yeah, I think, I mean, I want that closure. Uh, I want to experience that. I've heard that it is okay, at least. I know it has aimed down sights on all the guns, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, it's also the only Halo game, like mainline Halo game, that was exclusively released on the Xbox One. 
Like Halo Four right. was a 360 release, and and eventually Xbox One, but like, I don't know. It's just strange. It's very strange. No current plans. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, like I don't know if that's. I mean, I have to imagine. You know, they're they're really trying to be all hands on deck on Halo Infinite right now, probably. And they're and I'm. My guess is I'd I'd be willing to wager that Halo Five will come to the PC after Infinite is available. I think could like, be. You give it a year but or two. But you figure Microsoft has so many studios. I mean, maybe there's just not a studio familiar with Halo that could do it. But you figure yeah. that they could outsource it to somebody. You'd think, um, or they are working on it, and they just don't want to talk about it until it's ready. Yeah. Um, who knows? One day, I, I am confident, because because literally everything is going to come to the PC sooner or later. <laughs> right. I mean, Forza all- Horizon 4 is finally coming... Uh, to P- to Steam specifically, not not sure. just PC, but to Steam, uh-huh. and that game came out in what twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah. That so, sounds about right. yeah, man. Like, yeah, give it time. Possible. Yeah, uh, it'll it'll get here eventually. Um, it it would be so counter to Microsoft's strategy to not bring it over to the PC. I think it's clearly just a either we're not talking about this right now or. We're going to do it after Infinite, but we're really focused on trying to get Infinite out the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's probably, like, more focus on Infinite than than getting a PC version of 5 out. M- more eyes are on Infinite. More pressure is on Infinite. Yeah, this is weird. Halo Infinite, while still technically a sequel, has been set up as a new introduction to the franchise. Players won't need to know any of the lore from the previous Halo games or even understand the final moments of Halo 5 to play this game. However, it does take place after Halo 5. <laughs> so, I don't know. I might I might have to watch some Halo 5 cutscenes just to know what's going on. If it gets down to the wire, then yeah. I mean, again, clearly it doesn't actually matter, but I want to know. Well, yeah. Any other closing thoughts on on Halo as a series or or the Halo Four or anything else? Uh, I don't know. I just had fun. It was it was a fun romp. I I'm glad we did it. I'm glad it exists on PC for us to do it. It was just a really good time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is one of those experiences that everyone should have. It's one of those game series that everyone should play. And it, and if you have the capability to do so, you should do it in co-op because it's really fun that way. I think it's the way to play those games. I like. I probably wouldn't recommend it any other way, frankly. Um, all right. Uh, you want to talk about TV for a bit? Yeah. Okay. What you been watching? <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of stuff, but I think the thing that I want to call out specifically is Resident Alien. Uh, it's a new sci-fi show, uh, as in sci-fi the channel, but also uh, it is sci-fi oh, as in science fiction. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's on the SIFI. The SIFI. Uh, it stars Alan Tudyk uh, of Firefly, Serenity fame, uh, and like countless other things that he's been in. Um, but that's probably where you know him from the best. Uh, he stars as an alien who crash lands on earth and assumes a human form uh, to blend in so that he can repair his ship uh, and not necessarily just leave, but also detonate his 
end of days device that will wipe out the entirety of humanity on earth. Great. Great. You'd love to see that. But the, the things that happen in between are that he's stuck. He's trying to learn how to be a human, uh, you know, while having that, that task to complete. And, Alan Tudyk's delivery is just hilarious because I mean it's it's that dry sardonic humor that he can do but he has to play it even like straighter than that because it's it's an alien that doesn't know how to manipulate so there's a lot of jokes about like how when he tries to smile or laugh it is that really awkward like three-year-old doesn't know how to smile kind of smile and it's like, yeah, it's like just these situations that like you've seen in other movies and shows, but it is even funnier. And it, and a lot of it has to do with obviously the writing, but the way that Alan can do it. Yep. Yeah. His, his, a lot of it I'm sure is enhanced by his particular brand of acting and his delivery. Uh, there's a really great cast of characters that, like he can play off of um there's there's so one of the things that the the show introduces is that uh there's a kid who can actually see through him in the sense that like the kid doesn't see the human form that he's taken on the kid sees the alien oh jeez and no one else can see this but him so there's you know there is this trope of like nobody believing the kid saying that there's an alien but it's also the part where, um, oh, so Alan plays the character uh, Harry Vanderspiegel, who mm-hmm. was a doctor, and he gets roped into being the town doctor because the town doctor dies mysteriously. Of course. And so when he takes over as doctor, the kid has to come see him because he fell off his bike. Oh, and geez. so he he goes to examine him, but he sees the alien, screams, run out of the, runs out of the room, and mm-hmm. Harry's you know Harry the alien's first thought is, I want to kill this kid, <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like, of course this alien wants to kill a kid, he wants to kill everybody, but he right. really focuses on this kid, and oh, so, so the, like there's this episode focused on the kid of of him uh letting the um or no cutting the brake line on this kid's bike so that when he goes down this hill on his route every day that he he gets run over by a car wow and then he sneaks into his bedroom and tries to attack him but he um the kid makes a noise so his parents wake up so he hides under the bed and He's talking to his parents. The parents are like, oh, my God, this kid. He needs to get over this alien shit. Mm -hmm. And they go take him into their bedroom. But as they're, like, taking him away, the kid looks back. And you see Harry in in his alien uh, form throwing him the middle finger. (laughs) (laughs) But he only has three digits. Oh, sure. (laughs) That's good. And and, uh, the way that... I don't know how this works in terms of like FCC stuff, but uh, the the show says shit all the time. Oh yeah, you can you can do that on cable these days. Uh, I didn't know that restriction was lifted, but I think it's also like if it's after 10 p.m., then it's allowed or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 
so shit's everywhere and there's there's a moment where he he just keeps calling the kid a little shit to his face <laughs> and it, i just it is really good interactions like it uses profanity in a really clever and like appreciable way sure like it, it just there is a lot of it but it is it it never crosses the line of it being too much uh, there's really some heartfelt things that happen. Um, and so it it does, like, it, it goes from these really high highs of comedy and, and brings it down in a really, like, natural progression that it does, like, it doesn't just lay off. It just kind of stops it. Mm-hmm. And it's really well done. I I really love this show. It is worth watching they just crossed like the halfway point for season one um i can't recommend it more it is it is hilarious every show every episode of this show is just got me in hysterics and i can't really think of a show that has made me laugh this hard that wasn't like something like whose line is it anyway or something that was like very specifically a like intended to make you laugh kind of comedy yeah. well it's high praise i was just looking to see if it's available on hulu and it is not without a live tv package so i will have to wait but okay i don't know if you can stream what? them on like sci-fi's website or whatever yeah maybe i'll have to look i mean it's it's it looks like it's pretty highly rated across the board so if like if this is a, a big property of theirs that they're excited about they're probably not giving it away without a cable subscription but I'll have to uh, look. I, I, I can find out later it looks <laughs> like you can watch all the episodes on their site hmm. on sci-fi.com you can watch all six episodes <clears throat> right now great well then uh, I will, oh and I, will I should probably me. mention it takes place in a small town in Colorado but it's not oh, a real th- town that's, that's why you like it that's why <laughs> I like it so much but it's not a real town it's not real. My my immersion is immediately shattered, and I still love this show. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, so the new the, the season finale of WandaVision is out very soon. At the time um, of this recording, yes. As of the time that we're recording, it it is available in about forty five minutes. Um, do you want to to talk like predictions for what's going to happen? Do you just yeah. wanna okay. Yeah. I th- I think like the the show up until this point has done a really good job at subverting expectations a lot yes. of the times. Mm-hmm. Uh because you know there was like, you know, spoilers, right? There there's going to be spoilers for everything episodes 1 through 8. Yeah, fair enough. You've been warned. Uh when Pietro arrives at the front door, and it's the Evan Peters version. Mm-hmm. Immediately, there's so many things going through people's minds. But, uh, you know, there was... I, I don't think Mephisto is a part of any of this anymore. Yeah, it seems like they've reached a point where that's probably not going to happen. At least in this particular arc. Because as we know, it's been Agatha all along. It has been. So it w- it wouldn't make sense for it to be Mephisto really all along. You know right. what I mean? Like there's yeah, yeah and it's yeah. too late to introduce him. Like even as like I I mean I guess it's not too late, but 
as a cliffhanger they could i just don't think there's a, there's a need for another layer of villain right anymore. well and, and there was an interesting reveal in episode eight right because you know episode seven sets up like concludes with agatha all along right and and this reveal that you know agnes has been screwing with wanda throughout the season um and it and it kind of begs this question a little bit of like okay well has she how like to what extent has she been pulling strings and like is she responsible for you know how much of this is she responsible for right yeah and then episode eight very quickly tosses that out and makes it very clear that wanda is still at the center of everything that's been happening right and it's still her own powers that have created the hacks that have set up these circumstances right and, you know, the big reveal at the end of episode eight is, is you know, Agatha saying like, oh, you're the Scarlet Witch, right? Because yeah. it's, it's it's chaos magic, right? It's uh, it's it's this very potent, powerful form. And of course, she's like this legendary uh, figure who exists only in lore up until now. So and it's kind of this classic trope of like, OK, she has these huge, these great powers. She doesn't have full conscious control over them, but she's able to do things that, you know, witches ain't never been able to do before. Hmm. Um, so, so that also kind of throws out this theory of like Mephisto being involved, right? Um, right. It's, it's fi- uh, or, or really any other major villain, um, that we haven't seen on screen yet up until this point. Um, you know, it's, it's unclear exactly what Agatha's role in this is other than, you know, we know she's power hungry. We know she wants to figure out how to tap into whatever power Wanda's using, but you also get the sense that she realizes that that's not an option for her <laughs> once she understands yeah. the extent of Wanda's capabilities and where, what the source of her power is. Um, so a, a lot happened in the previous episode too. Like I felt yeah. like the intro, uh, well, I guess it really wasn't even an intro. It was just the opening of that episode. And then it just kind of continued without any kind of cutesy theme song yep parody kind of stuff happening oh yeah uh, yeah but really significant like storytelling of like what happened to agatha and how long ago and and then there's obviously all of the sentimental stuff about the things that wanda has gone through and mm-hmm. you can even see on agatha's face like oh shit like mm-hmm. it was all really a ploy for her to like learn how to do what she's doing but right through that journey she learned that like Wanda's been through some shit and like starts to feel bad almost. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she has some, some hint of actual sympathy as you see more of Wanda's tragedies play out on screen. Um, but all that said, like there's so much to wrap up in this singular episode and not necessarily has to, but there's so many threads going on right now. There's, you mm -hmm. know, the world outside the hex, there's Monica Rambo's powers. There's, Oh, yeah. The, the douche at sword. There's <laughs> the douche at sword. <laughs> and and there's 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 white vision, right? There's um, resurrected vision. Yeah. There's even Tommy and Billy and and then the conflict between Wanda and and Agatha. Like there is a lot still going on. Yeah. Well, so here's here's a, something I've been wondering about is like we saw Vision try to escape the hex at one point, right? And he right. starts coming apart at the seams. And what I'm trying to understand about that is because now that we know, you know, that Wanda didn't get his body, that Wanda literally conjured him within the hex, you know, is, is 
the vision that she's been interacting with, is he actually real, right? Or can he only exist in the hex? Uh, and is that why he was getting pulled back in like piece by piece when he was trying to get out, right? Yeah, um, but why wouldn't it just be like a, an invisible wall? I mean, visually well, sure. a spectacle, but why not just physically stop him there and just it, he just doesn't go anywhere beyond Right, that. of course, yeah. Well, and, and then there's also the question of like, well... You know, was it that he is it that he can't exist outside of that, or is it that, you know, she was literally using her power to try and draw him back in, right? Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of ways you could take that. I think we may we may see some answers about that tonight slash tomorrow, because um, you know it seems like what's what they're shaping up for is, you know, this this white like pristine, uh, co- you know, kind of killing machine version of Vision is going to go in there, right? And yeah. And, you know, the douche at sword is going to try and take Wanda out with him. Um, so obviously we got, some, we, we probably have some kind of vision on vision fight. Mm. And, and I think the question ends up being like, you know, does you, we could probably expect that Wanda's going to join into that, but what role does Agnes have to play in all of this? And what role do the kids have to play in this? And, you know, what are going to be the complicating factors? Right. I mean, do we and think like, that Monica's going to get involved at some point? Right. I mean, she exactly. Has to, right. She has to, like, we know she's in there. We didn't even see her last week. Um, like surely, surely, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see like just this convergence of all these big characters in some kind of major conflict. Like that, that seems like a given. Yeah. I um, mean, did, did, did uh, Kat Dennings get powers? And and I mean the actor, not the character that she plays <laughs> that I'm forgetting. Did Kat Dennings get powers? That's what I want to know. Well, so, I mean, you know, Monica only got them after going into the hex for a third time. So I'm going to guess no, but, who, but anything's possible. Well, didn't each time she go in, things change, but it wasn't... Yeah, I mean, I guess I get what you're saying, but it, like things changed from the first yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Like it started rewriting her. Right. But her powers didn't be, did not manifest until after the third trip in. So I don't know. I, I, it, it, I mean, we could absolutely see, was it Darcy or something as her character? Like we could absolutely that see could her be. jump in and, and like contribute in some way. I don't get the sense that that's what they're trying to do with her character necessarily, but no. You know, I am interested to see how they're setting her up to participate in, you know, future Marvel movies, at least. I mean, she's had more screen time than any of the Thor movies combined, so... Yeah, there you go. Um, hmm. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're going to see, like, any other surprise villain reveals, necessarily. Um, I think there's going to be probably a really good cliffhanger, but I just don't think it's going to be, like... Yeah, I just don't... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think we're going to get, like, any craziness. Do you think the Hex is still going to be standing at the end of this, or do you think that it's going to come down and Wanda's going to have to move on? Uh, I think, actually, the inverse. I think the Hex is going to go bigger. Really? Interesting. See, I'm I'm feeling like so much... Like, this, the whole thing has been about her trying to process her grief, Right and trying to work through that and create an alternate reality where she can escape into. So she doesn't have to face 
the truth of Vision being dead. Um, and like, if she can conjure him out of thin air and just make him again, why stay? Right? Like, yeah. Why? Like, what's the point of staying in there unless she doesn't have a choice? Right? What if the only way she can be with him is in there? And so, you know, will we see her find a way to let go of him and and you know move on without him and let the hex come down? You know, or are they going to find a way for him to be able to leave? Right? Um, and, and like maybe White Vision has a role to play there. Like maybe there's a way to imprint onto him. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because that's how he evolved from Ultron. So. Right. I think there's going to be some sort of true resurrection from, from that. Yeah. Yeah. Like perhaps like white vision heading in there is the way that she'll actually get to keep the vision after all. Milky white. <laughs> it's like a little disturbing. It, yeah. Yeah. This real quick. Can we just call out how great of a name for that project? It, like the cataract, like that's, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. It's really good. Cloudy vision. Uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I'm going to stay up and watch this, I think, because by the time we're done recording, um, it'll be up. So I think I'll just watch it tonight. It's going to be good. God damn it. Can't wait. Well, but then I won't get to talk to anyone about it until tomorrow night. So, yeah, true. <clears throat> but you get to, you get to vague post in our WandaVision channel and just mm. say something. Yes. Yes. That's, that's probably what I'll do. I'll just say, Hey, I watched it. Something. A thing happened. I felt something. <laughs> something something stirred inside of me. <sighs> All right. Um, we should probably move on to news. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, I think this is one you should probably talk about because this was you, you brought this to my attention originally, and it's just it's just fascinating. So uh, the Sinking City, which is a HP Lovecraft uh, narrative adventure game uh, was released on consoles and PC on Epic Game Store last year. And suddenly, The Sinking City has appeared on Steam. But shortly after it was released, there was a note added to uh, the game. So, like, uh, under the game news section, like developers will put in like updates or relevant information, maybe something like there's a bug they're aware of, all sorts of stuff like that. They'll 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 use the game news section for that. But mysteriously, there was a note that says, "Don't buy this," and it <laughs> was from the from the developer Frogwares. Okay, they also re- released a blog post and a video that documented the fact that the publisher that they've been working with, Nacon, uh, previously known as Big Ben Publishing, had essentially stolen the Sinking City and uh, hacked it, uh, decrypted it, uh, and made specific changes to it, and then uploaded it to Steam. And they were able to prove that that's what they did uh, through through this video and blog posts. And it's a very technical, detailed account mm-hmm. of what steps they took, how they achieved, you know, the means to decrypt this encrypted 
uh, file. But the thing of it is, is that the source that the publisher retrieved the game copy from was Games Planet, which is another DM, DRM-free uh, distributor of, yep. of digital games. So they use this DRM-free version, which removes one layer of protection in terms of cracking a game mm-hmm. uh, to redistribute and used the encryption keys, which uh, Frogwares asserts that you know they they got it from someone who was trusted to have it and not give it away or sell it, uh, but clearly did. Mm-hmm. And it's just wild. Like, I mean, you can actually uh, search for a history on Frogwares and their games. They've had a lot of problems with their Sherlock Holmes games uh, yep. and how they were distributed. Um, this is not a new like conflict for them, but this very specific instance is, and it is just so weird. I've never seen anything like it. Me either. It's fucking wild. Like imagine that you have a contract with your publisher, right? And the terms of this are, well, yeah, whatever. But the fact that the publisher has gone out of their way to, you know, acquire I, I, well, I wasn't clear on this. Did they buy a copy from Games Planet, or did they just use the Games Planet distribution? Oh no, because um, hmm, I can't remember. Did Nacon put it on Games Planet, or did Frogwares put it on Games Planet themselves? I think Frogwares put it on Games Planet themselves. Right, right. Okay, yeah. So, so Nacon had to have bought a copy of the Sinking City from Games Planet to do this. And so they, they purchased it. They decrypted the archive. They made all these changes to replace logos so that they, and then recompile it so they could upload it to Steam. It's fucking nuts. Like, who does this? And, like, and this is after, like, a whole long protracted legal battle in, in the French courts, right? In, yeah. which, in which the French justice determined, like, yo, Frogwares does not have to do this, uh, right? Or at least not, not, not in the, according to the terms... Uh, and the contract as they're written and Nacon asserts like, well, uh, there are, there are clauses in the contract that do allow us to do this. Um, and that's what Nacon fired back with yesterday. Right. Yeah. Um, they said, as a matter of fact, we are legally allowed to do this and we'll see you in court. Um, I don't know that I buy it cause they sound pretty shady. Um, but I mean, this is nuts. And so, like, didn't Frogwares DMCA their own game off of Steam to stop the sales? They did. I was going to say that, yeah. Uh, and then that also, fucking uh, wild. the reason why it wasn't on Steam is because it was previously under uh, exclusivity with Epic Game Store. Right, right. Yeah, and the terms of the contract originally did say something about Frogwares providing a Steam release. Um but Frogwares' claim is that Nacon hadn't paid them for it, I think. That sounds about right. That's also yeah. been other battles that they've they've faced. Yeah. They they sound they sound like a real real shady publisher. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh and it's so weird. It is just so so weird. But I I believe Frogwares in in every account and they've proven it like time and time again. Mm-hmm. I they get so fucked with every time. They do, yeah. They they've got it. They clearly have have a well. And is it is it always been Nacon that they've had these problems with, or is it just yeah. like a string of bad luck? Yeah, 
God, I wonder if there's just like some long-term agreement with them that they can't get out of. I think that's what it is. Fuck. Um, I'll put the link to the the Frogwares um, article from their site in the show notes for this week. So I, I highly encourage that you go read it if you're interested, because this is just, it's fascinating and it's such a unique uh, situation. Um, and, and the way that they describe how they're, they were able to determine that this happened is, is really interesting. Um, I, I hope that this gets sorted in their favor. Like this is, this is so shitty. And I'm not even like, I don't even play their games. I'm not necessarily like a Frogwares fan. I just like, you see something like this happening and you're like, this is ridiculous. But it does kind of make you want to just go buy their games on the Epic Game Store or something, you know, like <clears throat> that's just true. kind of show support. Yeah. Well, you know, and they, they call out like, hey, look, we don't, um, you know, we don't have any issues with Steam. We don't have any issues with Games Planet. Like we don't blame them for any of this. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like support them on a platform. Well, if anything, I would say support them on a platform where Nacon's not going to get a take. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 So and, so and I'm assuming that Nacon published this on EGS. I'm not sure, but I do believe, yeah. So if you want to support Frogwares, don't buy it there. So so messed. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, what's this? What's this you got about Criterion? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Criterion has halted the development of the new Need for Speed that they've been working on. Sure. To go help DICE finish Battlefield 6. Okay, why not? Uh, apparently DICE is getting pretty fucking worn out developing Battlefield 6. Um, Weird. And they they need some help. They want to give their people a break and they want to utilize Criterion to, to help them finish it. Which, uh, Criterion's not new to battlefield they've helped out on battlefield one battlefield five criterion i actually i think developed and made the entirety of the firestorm battle royale mode oh wild so this is not new for them this is not like a a cause for concern on either side It, it just seems like ea is utilizing their studios and uh and just you know they're calling for help and they're 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 coming to to do the right thing it's just i it, at the expense of a new need for speed though a series that i'm kind of fond of uh it, it is kind of bummer that now that need for speed is not happening this year and is bumped to next year because of this uh shift that criterions had to do yeah yeah that's a bummer yeah, it says battlefield hardline battlefield one and firestorm yeah now this yeah yeah so this isn't unprecedented and it's also not uncommon for ea to pull multiple other studios to help get a battlefield game shipped uh they've done this a lot in the last few years yeah um hmm i was gonna make a crack about pulling the racing game team onto the battlefield team and how they were going to be adding racing to this but clearly that's (laughs) that's not how this is going because this isn't the first time (laughs) um interesting yeah, that's that's a bummer about Need for Speed. Uh, again, not a series I'm particularly invested in, but uh, but I'm looking forward to Battlefield Six. I I'm, I'm I don't a big Battlefield fan. I've rather disliked Battlefield One and Five because they were historical ones, and I 
I've played a, a shit ton of World War II games, but World War One and going back to World War Two was just not what I wanted out of Battlefield. Have they talked at all about the setting for this game? They did. They've pretty much said that it's going to be modern, if not just slightly future. Okay. So, very, so, very modern this time. So it Battlefield is, 4 2. Yes. Good. Give 4 me that. plus 2. Fuck that. Or fuck yeah, I will play that. <laughs> yeah, it's. it's uh, they've obviously not been very detailed. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff around what would be considered E3 time. Yeah. Uh, what Battlefield 6 actually is and what it's going to look like and how that's going to play, but it, it should be very exciting. I'm cool. I'm very hopeful that this is going to be the good one. Yeah, me too. I actually, I liked one okay um, for like a month. <laughs> like, I, I, I thought it had some really good ideas. It was just, uh, and I see as someone, as someone who really likes Hunt Showdown and I like the fact that the guns are old and janky. It that works really well in that game, and like your accuracy doesn't necessarily suffer. And in Battlefield One, it's just like, well, your guns are old and they don't work super good, so have fun. Yeah. And <laughs> five is know. like not as also, bad, but there was also like a thing about like the font choices in one and five that I didn't like. Like I know that's like a really picky thing to get hung up on, but it didn't seem to fit. It was like modern fonts with yeah. Well, I mean. No, I, I get you. Like the the art direction on the user interface for those two games felt really disjointed from what the time periods were, and like it's not to say that the UIs were bad. Like I, I appreciated how they were clean, and I and like if you separate them from the setting, it's all fine. Yeah, yeah. But but like you said, it's like well, this is this feels odd. Um, like, and I'm not saying like I want an overly thematic, um, <laughs> you know going super hard into the time period with the UI. Like, I don't want it to be full skeuomorphic again. We've, we've seen that. Uh, we know that that gets a little ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it, def- it was, it was odd. It was disjointed a little bit. Um, but yeah, and just a lot of the weapons. I don't know. It just, there, there was fun to be had and I did have fun with them, but ultimately like it just, they didn't hook me the way that battlefield two, three and four have. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, those games were, were solid. The modern setting, I think, is just where where Battlefield is best. And yeah. if they would make a bad Company 3, I'd be way the fuck on board. But I just yeah. don't see that happening. I don't think that's going to happen. But boy, I would play the snot out of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, here's hoping that, that, that Battlefield 4 plus 2 is, uh, is the one that like, pulls us back in. I would love to have a... I mean, we, we spent so much time on Battlefield 4. Yeah. Um, like, I would love to have that kind of come back into our multiplayer rotation in a big way. For sure. Um, so, yeah, that's really all I had on that. It's just, it's a bummer right. for Need for Speed. It's good for Battlefield, honestly. It's just, yeah. it came at a cost, I guess. <clears throat> yep. As everything does. But at what cost? <laughs> Uh, the cost is need for speed. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about Nintendo switch hardware refresh leaks. Uh, the weekly should... leak rumors of a new. No, switch no, no. But this is, this is not just like, this isn't a rumor. This is like an official report from a reputable source. So this is legit. Um, and it's like, you know, Nintendo has been very cagey about talking about a Switch hardware refresh for a while. And everyone has been assuming that they're going to announce something soon. 
and it sounds like they probably aren't going to announce something yet, but in a report from Bloomberg that came out earlier this week, uh, they have reputable sources pointing to a Switch hardware refresh, which you know most people refer to it as the Switch Pro. I saw a tweet yesterday that I really liked in which someone was like, please call it the Super Switch or the Super Nintendo Switch, <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which I think is great. Um, so what they what this report has stated is that Nintendo is going to do a revision out in time for the holidays. So it won't be until later this year, probably, uh, which will include a seven inch rigid OLED panel uh, as compared to like a like five and a half, six, six inch, um, you know, LED panel in the current model. So it's going to be a bigger panel. Um, also the, I think there's room for them to put that in the existing form factor. Cause the bezel on it is so damn big. Yeah. Um, they could probably fit the same up uh, that panel in a similar size shell. <clears throat> um, maybe they might have to go bigger. I don't know. And it's interesting that they're going with a rigid panel as opposed to a flexible one. Um, I looked into this cause I, I wasn't sure what the difference was. Uh, so flexible OLED panels are the kinds of things you get in phones and mobile devices where like drop and shadow resistance is important. Um, yeah. flexible panels are, are much more resistant to impact, which when you've got a device where the form factor is so small and the screen practically is the whole thing, um, you know, those corners are just like hotspots for break-in, right? So you want an OLED panel that's resilient against that. For a device like the Switch, which has a whole lot of plastic around it that can absorb a lot of the shock, that impact resistance isn't quite as important. And so they can make these things cheaper and still get a really high quality screen in them. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, still 720p resolution uh, for, for the handheld screen is what they're targeting, which also okay. will help keep the cost down. But... And here's the kicker. The rumor, but it's included in this report, is that it will run up to 4K resolution when it's docked on in the TV, which Damn. would mean a whole new refresh on the NVIDIA GPU that's inside of that thing, which is very exciting. Um, Can I take it out of there and put it into my PC so I have a 30 series GPU? <laughs> uh, no. I don't think this is going to be a 30 series derivative. I, I think you, so like what the switch has a, a Tigra X one in it. I want to say, is that right? Tigra, Tigra one, Tigra X one, something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, so this would likely be the next iteration of that family, which is probably, I would guess based somewhat on tech from the 20 series. Um, but you know, you could, you could see them. I mean, who knows? Like they've, they've done some pretty wild stuff with the 30 series. So maybe, Maybe this would be in line with like a 3060 or, you know, even like a more of a 3050 type model, right? Um, yeah. I, you know, they've said nothing. I, I sincerely doubt Nintendo is going to give a shit about like ray tracing hardware, which will also help bring costs down, right? Um, but yeah, that's, that's the other part of it. But you get me a new version of the Switch that can play Nintendo's games in like a solid 60 frames a second across the board at 1080p at least or higher. Now we're talking. Um, I'm very excited about this. Uh, I'm like very ready to upgrade. It sounds like the panels are going to come from Samsung. They're going to go into production in June. Um, and, and then like be sent starting to get sent out for assembly, like the following month. Um, so, you know, targeting like sometime releasing sometime in the second half of the year. Um, I think it's going to happen, man. 
They've talked. I mean, this is this has been talked about for so long. Yeah, yeah. People have been anticipating this for quite a while. Um, oh, also, the OLED screen is going to improve battery battery life over the LED screen. Um, oh, that's good. Which is which is great, and I imagine and they do already have, have a new switch variant out there that has a better battery isn't that right they do they do um so and i don't I, I still have my launch version of the thing um and the battery probably could be better but i still get like two to three hours out of it so it's fine um but yeah like if you give me one of those with an even longer like a, a more resilient battery sure great i'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on board um hopefully they'll have like fixed the joy con drift stuff at this point uh, I, th- I think I feel like they already have on new ones, but maybe not. I don't know. I, I mean, I just spent the the twelve bucks and replaced both of them on mine, but <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. Whatever. Uh, whatever. <clears throat> yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of wondering. I'm watching and waiting to see if the replacement Joy-Con sticks I put in my controllers are eventually also going to develop drift in another two years, um, but. You know, it might not be my problem anymore at that point. It might be someone else's problem. Whoever buys it used. Yeah. There <laughs> we'll you have go. to deal with that. Offload the problem. Yeah. Ship it It wasn't like else. that when I had it. It worked great when I had it. it worked on my machine in my house. Um, you got one more item on here. What is this? Yeah, it's not super long. Uh, so Subnautica Below Zero uh, releases in full version 1.0 on may 14th so this is the sequel to subnautica uh it takes place one year after the events of the first game uh it takes place in a different location of the same planet and uh yeah they're they're saying it's just about done they released like a really big update they're they're doing fully voice acted uh, audio logs this time the soundtrack is finalized They've like fixed most of the bugs and they're, they got their sights set on May 14th being the, the release date. Uh, nice. this, it entered early access in 2019, January, 2019. So a little over two years and it's done. And I, I think that's like exactly when they said it was going to be done too. I think they said it was going to take like two to three years, uh, to, to get it to the state and two and a half years later, that's, that's where it's at. Um, I did a preview like right when this entered early access and haven't touched it since. And I'm, I'm so very excited to to dive in because that's not a pun. It just happened. Yes, it it happened. Uh, Subnautica uh, that we've spoken so much about already. And it just happened to be news that came out uh, this week as breathage uh, went 1.0 as well. Uh, but Subnautica was my 2019 game of the year. It really resonated with me. It's it's very good. I, I really love open world survival crafting games that have a linear story like that. Those two things together is exactly what I want. That's how you get Scott to play that ga- uh, survival game. Put a story mm-hmm. in it. Uh, and and it was pretty good too. And and the way that they they made that work and they worked into the environment was was very was very exciting. Cool. Well, maybe I'll finally play that now that it's coming out for real, real. Yeah, you got it. And then I'll help you finish the, the first one because I, I made yeah. a, I, I made a map or something that will make the the end game like super easy <clears throat> to get through. Ah, uh, yes. 
Yeah, there's, there's never been a better time for me to finish Subnautica two years later. <laughs> never been. Uh, oh, hang on. Got a cough coming. Woo! All right. Feel better? Uh, still feeling it a little bit. <coughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to be fine. Uh, hey, we've come to that part of the show where it's time to answer... Oh, God! Some emails! Uh, Are you aging while we're talking? Yeah, I'm, I'm reverse Benjamin buttoning again. <laughs> Benjamin unbuttoning. Yeah, I'm. Ben- <laughs> Thank you. I'm Benjamin unbuttoning once more. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I could. I could someone's going to sue me for this. Um, yeah, we're going to answer some emails. Maybe one, maybe two. We'll see what I feel like this Gmails. week. There you go. Uh, if you have an email you'd like to have read on the show, I invite you to send an email to quicksave at savingcontent.com. And we just might read your email on the air. Air. Like, this is real radio. Uh, this week's email comes to us once again from Saving Content's own Ed Acosta. Uh, where are we keeps... at in, in this library of this trove of questions? Are we? You know, we've been paying down debt on the stuff he sent in, and then he sent in a brand new one tonight. Oh, okay. Um, and that's, that's what I'm going to go with because I like it. Um, but I might do two of them to start trying to pay this down a little more. So we'll see. Um, so this one from Ed is a uh, it's it's a classic either or situation. All right. Um, or would, would you, you rather? rather? Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> of course, there's elaborate setup with this. Ed writes, uh, "I bring this question to your attention to ponder upon. You are trapped with an evil sorcerer. He will let you leave, but you must choose one scenario. For the rest of your days, you'll either a." Have access to any game you want, but can only play it with a cheat or uh, any game. I think he means literally any game all the time, not just one. Have access to any games that you want to play, but you can only play them with a cheap secondhand third party GameCube controller in very poor condition. (laughs) Or B, you can use the latest, greatest, best controller at the time, DualSense, uh, but can only play games in their early guaranteed buggy state. Uh, and just just for the record, the sorcerer has completely erased PC mice and keyboards from existence, only allowing for trackball, trackballs and keyboards that have been downgraded to touchscreens, so no getting to use alternative gaming inputs. Uh, what the do you choose? The sorcerer is a dick. The sorcerer is a mega dick. Oh, no, it says signed Sorcerer Ed. <gasps> Ed is the dickhead sorcerer. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, what have we done? Um... Funny story, I had a shitty third-party GameCube controller uh, back in college. It was like a Mad Cats one, and I definitely made anyone who came over to my room to play GameCube use that, because it was bad. It was in poor condition, though. Um, Do you have thoughts, or do you want me to take a stab at this first? I mean, I think A. I think the, the notion of being able to play anything I want, even though I'm limited by... A supposed shitty controller is just too good of an option. Yeah, well, and like you know, this this makes the assumption, uh, and because he doesn't explicitly say otherwise, and in fact, this is implied in the option. This makes the assumption that this GameCube controller, either because it is officially supported by the games, or because it is magically like imbued with the ability to play any game, <laughs> yeah, like has proper mappings, right? <laughs> so. That seems like the less the less bad of the two options. Like as much as I love, you know, the DualSense controller, which I think is probably the best controller available right now. Um, like, 
early and guaranteed buggy state for game. I guess it depends on like, you know, how early are we talking here, right? Are we talking Steam early access where things were mostly playable, but just, you know, like early days of PUBG where just random shit would happen? Or are we talking like, you know, alpha or pre-alpha builds that you literally can't do anything with? Um, yeah. But yeah, I have to decide, I have to go with you on this. I think option A is the one. Uh <laughs> <laughs> have you have you used the the, the dual sense on PC yet? No, I haven't. Have you? No, no. I I I know Steam supports it now. Um, yeah, I'm curious. Well, I here's a thought I had today. Uh, you know how like I I really like white uh, plastic for my PC cases, and I like to go like kind of white accented builds. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've I've been reconfiguring my desk like about. Er- twice a week uh since i got my monitor mount arms installed like trying to find the optimal layout for things and i keep like you know nudging things and repositioning things and adjusting slightly and i'm getting to a place where i'm much happier with it uh and my i still have my tower on my desk though because i want to look at all my lights (laughs) and i have moved my controller to sitting on top of the tower when it's not in use because it's actually kind of a sensible place for it instead of taking up random desk space that it doesn't need to take up um and now I'm very irked by the fact that I have a black controller sitting on top of a white tower and I feel like the colors like the, the it's just there's a lack of uniformity in the plastic that's upsetting there's, there's to me. There's a clash there. Yeah, so a dual sense would fix that except I like an Xbox controller and its inputs for PC stuff. So I don't uh, I don't know. This is this is a dumb problem. <laughs> it's, it's not a real problem. It's a very dumb problem though. Do you want to read another ad email or do you want to call it good? Yeah, let's on do one, one more. Let's do one more. Okay. Okay. This is an older one. Uh, the subject is comfort food. Knock, knock. Good day, fine sir or madam. <laughs> uh, here's a question for you two. What do you consider your top most repeated always go-to comfort food? When you're feeling down, uneasy, nervous, or just unfresh, what food do you reach for to bring your mind back at ease? Um... He goes on to say, personally, I make a simple meal my grandmother would make me, and it always puts me in a better mood. I call it an egg sandwich, but it's not quite what you think. I scramble some eggs, mix in mayonnaise, uh, fold at least two pieces of bread in half, Uh scoop the egg mixture into each folded piece of bread, and voila, egg sandwich. I guess you could think of it as a simple egg salad and bread tacos, but it's my go-to, and I love it. Hell, I'll even spruce it up with bacon or sausage or different spices. So that's mine. What's yours? And if there is one, what is the story behind it? Wow, that is a... Ed is like... He's just a, a treasure trove of unique food things. He, he's our like. Dan Reichert. He, he is! He is the Dan Reichert of the site. It's amazing. <laughs> that's a, We mean that as a compliment. Um, Absolutely. He knows it. Okay, as long as he knows. <laughs> hmm, I've never said it, but he knows. he knows what I mean. I'm good. I'm sure he does. Uh, over, over 20 years of knowing him, he knows. Fair. Yes, fair. Do you have do you do you have an answer for this off the cuff? I don't. Hmm. Like for me, it so there's like I feel like there's two categories of this. One is like the quick and easy thing you can just make and be done and like chow down on. Uh-huh. And a lot of the times for me these days that's still just a good old-fashioned PBJ. Um, which is like kind of a cop out, but like if I'm in a pinch or if I just need to like 
eat something to, to chill out with. Like it's a, just a good, like I can throw that together in under two minutes and, and it always hits the spot. Um, if we're talking like maybe less practical, um, there is a there's a beef curry I make uh, like a beef curry and chicken katsu that I make uh, during the fall and the winter. And those are just the like in terms of comfort food and like something I can just cozy up with real good uh, and it'll make me feel good every time. It's that um, it is. Both of those are well, the katsu is pretty quick. Uh, relatively speaking, the curry is like an all day process. So these are not like, oh man, I'm feeling shitty. Uh, and it's five or six o'clock at night. So I'm going to start making curry right now. But, um, it's like, it's definitely going to just put me in a good space. If I yeah. Can. Yeah. What do you think? Do you have, do you have something? I mean, I don't know. I feel like the, the quick and easy thing is, I mean, it can be a comfort food, but I don't see it that way. It's just, quick and easy mm -hmm. but um you know it's it's a uh, chicken from a can mustard <clears throat> and mayo and mix it up and you've got an easy chicken salad oh fair enough yeah that's pretty good like that yeah that's it, a good quick go-to in it and if you've got like nothing else in the house like that will last you like a couple of lunches or so yeah that's true oh you know what actually just a just a good sausage and egg and cheese breakfast sandwich Oh just, yeah, I'll 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 go in for that anytime because and I can I can get one of those done in ten minutes or less or less. Uh, and then I guess like really on the comfort food end of things, uh, probably a tuna noodle casserole. Ooh, a cheesy tuna noodle casserole, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. extra cheese, like real cheese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, that would working. be like the comfort food. Like that's it's, always been my go-to since I was a kid. And like, man, I actually had it like last week. Oh, wow. Look at you. So yeah, it's, I'm like, <laughs> you're, you're talking about this and I'm like wistfully staring at the wall and thinking about how good an open face, like tuna melt sounds right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I've been thinking about that too. Oh, also shit. This is like a classic feel like comfort food meal, just like grilled cheese and tomato soup. You can't go I've, wrong with that. I've never done the tomato soup part. Oh, not my once. friend. It's not as essential. Like grilled cheese, I think, is like the, the core of it. But like, I think I think the, the tomato soup goes well with it. I think you can dip a good grilled cheese in a tomato soup and it tastes real nice. I, I like tomato soup. I've just never mixed them together. You got to try just, it. I won't. You got to give it a shot. I won't. Wow. Just on principle? Like, what is this? Uh, I don't know, man. Like. I've gone this long without it. Okay. You have me, a generally reputable human, telling you <laughs> that this is a good thing that's at least worth trying. And the effort and the risk <laughs> level involved are extremely low. So, like, if you're going to say no, this is just you being obstinate for the sake of being obstinate. Maybe I'm the Dan Reichert. This is a very Dan Reichert behavior <laughs> you're exhibiting right now. I just want to... I'm, I'm, I'm glad you called it out before I could, but I was thinking it. <laughs> Think about all the things Dan has tried that he's realized he's lo that he loves. Yeah. Wasn't mayo like the big... Or sour mayo cream, was the maybe? big one. <laughs> yeah, I think mayo was the big one. <sighs> I love a good uh, peppercorn mayo. Really good. I don't know if I've had a peppercorn mayo. There's, um, 
there's like a like a Japanese mayo. I think it's called Kewpie, and it's got like a little bit of extra stuff in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very tasty. It makes a real good egg salad. I'm just hungry. I think. I think I need to eat more food. Maybe. I had enchiladas for dinner. It was enough, but now I'm hungry again. That's what happens in time. That's what happens when time passes. When it's been six hours since you ate. Um. Hey, guess what? <laughs> the show's going on long. We should wrap it up. Okay. Uh, okay pretend I'm giving good. you the the wrap it up signal with my hand. Uh, I mean, I just I I always see you doing that in my head. <laughs> uh, it's very motivating. <laughs> Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us on QuickSave. You can find me on Twitter at EV underscore R-O-W-E. Scott, where can people find you? On Twitter at Hawk underscore S-E. The underscore is the symbol, not the word. Ooh, important. Uh, please visit us at savingcontent.com for news and reviews. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the podcast, send them on in to QuickSave at savingcontent.com or reach out to us on Twitter at savingcontent. You can also use our personal handles. You can swing by one of the live streams and uh, post some questions in chat. However you like to do it. Also, if you can, we sure would appreciate a rating on iTunes. Five stars would be a great one to start with. Just a suggestion. If you like the show, it's a really good way to help us out. That and telling all your friends about this really great video game podcast that you listen to. I think that's going to be it for shilling. And so on that note, until next time, you know what they say.